Hello, friends. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, and envies to Watery Desho and our Decade in Review podcast. And if you're wondering, yes, I am sick, but that's not going to deter me from making this show. The cold in my body will not prevent these hot takes about the decade in anime getting out there to all of you. So I'll get right to it. Here is how the format for the show is going to work. It's not going to be a traditional discussion. And it's not really going to be too much of the Waterway Death Show podcast members. You hear us enough as it is. We wanted to bring in a whole bunch of different perspectives and opinions on anime this decade, on the industry, on fandom, on all sorts of stuff. So what we've done is we've asked uh, a whole passel of special friends, special guests to join us. And we've got 12 questions here. And I will serve as your narrator slash guide. I will be reading those aloud and may offer a brief comment, but then turn it over to uh, each of our panelists, each of our distinguished guests to answer. And I'm going to let them introduce themselves uh, now. Greetings to all the fine folks at the Warui Desho podcast and all the listeners. Uh, this is James Beckett from the Kick the Beckett podcast and blog and the freelance writing that you can find on sites such as Anime News Network. I am an avid fan, a lifelong fan of all things anime, manga, video games, pop culture. Uh, I'm an educator. I am a writer. And I'm here to tell you all some of my thoughts about the trends, the ups and downs, and all of the in-betweens when it comes to anime in the decade of the 2010s, now that we are here in this brand new, wonderful uh, Roaring Twenties Part 2. God, I hope it doesn't go like the last Roaring Twenties did. I guess we'll have to see. I'm Kay. I'm Danny. And we are from the podcast Anime is Lit, where we talk about anime uh, like it's literature. We get into the themes and the character motivations and the motifs <laughs> except fun and not boring except fun and not boring hello everyone this is alexander smith biod42 on twitter i'm a chef in amsterdam formerly the sous chef at kunis and currently manning a station at vildesvine you may have heard me on the food for your weeb life segment or singing the praises of fujiko mine on this very podcast but i've also written a fair amount on anime I used to write semi-professionally, but I switched to mostly writing for my own satisfaction and that of my hopefully more than a dozen readers. Uh, you can find that at allthemediamatters.com. Haven't done anything recently, although I do have an iron in the uh, fire or two, but I'm still pretty proud of the pieces I've done, um, like the ones on Evangelion, Sound Euphonium, and Gunbuster. So if you're so inclined, please check those out. Introduce myself. My name is Emily Rand. I work for ESPN. I write about people who play video games professionally. I have also been blogging anime for far too long. Um, just the blog I'm on right now, I've been blogging since 2013. 
and that is for me in full bloom at wordpress.com because I am too cheap to actually buy my own domain name. Hi, I'm Grant, and uh, I do a number of different things. Probably primarily know me for being on the Blade Licking Thieves podcast and Super Sendai podcast, uh, as well as uh, being on uh, Twitter as at Grant the Thief, where I'm usually making really bad jokes and talking about One Piece uh, pretty frequently. What is up, everybody? This is David Majors, also known as DJM. Uh, for those of you out there that may not know, I host the anime podcast of some sort with my buddy and longtime co-host Jack McAllister. We took a bit of an extended break uh, in the second half of 2019, but we are back in 2020. So if you guys want to check out APOS, the anime podcast of some sort, you can do so at DeltaJulietMike.com or wherever you get your podcast. Also, I do make a few other podcasts. There's the Record Breakers podcast where we review music and album at a time. Also, Sports Odds and Ends where I'm the producer and I'm behind the glass and occasionally offer my own sports takes here and there. And Grappalicious, uh, some of you out there that listen to Wadawi Desh Show uh, might know uh, Subtle Doctor and I do a podcast called Grappalicious where Doc and I talk about the world of professional wrestling. So if you're into that, Go ahead and check out Grappalicious and check out all of the deets on the Twitter Twitter at CallMeDJM if you feel so inclined, especially if you want to talk about Star Trek. I'm really into Star Trek. I'm a lifelong Star Trek fan. We can talk about Star Trek. We can talk about wrestling. We can talk about anime. We can talk about all that stuff. And, of course, at DeltaJulietMike.com. Now, I want to thank Doc and everybody at Wadawi Desh Show for inviting me uh, to do this decade thing. So let us jump right in. With introductions out of the way, here we go. Let's move on to the questions. When you look back over the decade, what do you think were the most significant trends in anime? The content, not the industry. Were these positive, negative, or a mix? I would expect to hear at least something about Isekai here. Perhaps idol shows, perhaps anime based on mobile games. Those seem to be big business this decade. When it comes to looking back over the decade and the trends that I think defined the genre, um, I'm going to, one of the first things I guess I'd say is the massive increase in the popularity of uh, light novel adaptations and whether you would consider this to be a positive or negative trend, I think is maybe up to your personal tastes and the kinds of stories that you like to see. Um, I personally feel that it's a bit of a mixed bag. I mean, on the one hand, I think it's always good when people are reading and light novels being, you know, novels that are short, uh, serialized, uh, often written in a manner that is meant to be accessible to all levels of, um, reader. I think that's a a good thing. I think that if more young people and young adults and even just regular old adults are reading in Japan, that can only be a good thing. However, on the flip side of that coin, uh, a lot of the adaptations, a lot of the anime and, and manga and video games that are kind of coming from these light novel properties, I feel are getting a little bogged down in regurgitating the same tropes over and over and over again. Um, And anime has always had kind of a problem with that. I think Japan is a a very recursive and reflexive culture. 
uh, when it comes to especially the kind of pop culture it produces, which isn't to say that, you know, countries like America or other uh, nations around the world aren't. But I think the, the degree to which um, art and pop culture in Japan is just very comfortable to um, blatantly and unapologetically just kind of repeat borderline identical uh, plot developments, character types, um, just general kind of cliches and and uh, thematic messages. To me, it's it's starting to feel a little stale. You know, if you watch any of the twenty five uh, isekai or trapped in a video game or you know slave harem shows that come out in any given year, they feel kind of borderline identical to me. And uh, you know, regardless of the genre, it doesn't have to be isekai or whatever. But regardless of the genre, whenever you get to the point where just the same basic stories and characters are, are just being repeated ad nauseum, I, I don't think that that's ever really a good thing. So hopefully with the rise of different popular genres in the light novel industry, we will start to see some more diverse stories and some more interesting stories. Uh, because I really do think that over the past 10 years, that, that really has boomed in a way that um, it had only begun to show its head uh, before 2010. I think between 2010 and now, it has really become probably one of the dominating sources of IP in the anime industry. Uh, on a more positive side, I think another trend that you can count on for this new decade is um, diversity, especially when it comes to uh, LGBTQ uh, representation. I think that anime, while it has a very, very long way to go, I think that it has gotten so much better, or at least more open to telling stories involving queer characters um, beyond just the kind of age-old uh, Yuri class S tropes, which I've, I've often felt are kind of written still within the confines of a patriarchal system, where, you know, the, the lesbianism is either played kind of for heterosexual male titillation, or it is played for emotional drama that it ultimately culminates in a, a heteronormative kind of ending. You know, the, the class S trope for Yuri lesbian stories was always that it's like a phase that girls go through, and it's something that will eventually be quote-unquote rectified when they grow up and learn to love men like they quote-unquote are supposed to, which is gross and, and kind of sad. And that still is definitely a thing that you see. It hasn't gone away. And uh, I'm not going to sit here and, and pretend that anime has become some kind of bastion for uh, queer positivity, because in a lot of ways it hasn't. But it is getting a, a lot better. I mean, this decade brought us properties like uh, Wandering Sun, which was one of the first major uh, pieces of media of any kind that I can really remember people talking about that that explored the um, lives of, of people who were either transgender or were living outside of the gender binary. And, you know, I remember even back in the day when I first encountered it, I thought it was just so special and so cool that something like this could not only come to people uh, at a relatively mass scale, it's, you know, a, a fairly popular um, property, but it's also coming from a country and a culture that is has a complicated history when it comes to gender expression. And so Wandering Sun is a great one. I mean, obviously we have Yuri on Ice, which is, I think, not only for anime, but just like a, a an incredible, straightforward, you know, openly queer love story. And yeah, there are, I guess, technically some limitations to the expression there that maybe 
would have been better if the characters could just openly, you know, kiss or openly express their love or openly become engaged without having to even tiptoe around it a little tiny bit. But, I mean, let's be real. It's one of the gayest shows ever made as far as anime is concerned, and that's just great. Um, that's so good. Um, we also have uh, Yurikuma Arashi, uh, My Lesbian Experience of Loneliness, which I think treat the lesbian experience with a lot more um, emotional richness and with a lot more seriousness than some other shows you know, might have back before we've hit this new decade, and that's great as well. Um, the Bride Was a Boy is another wonderful kind of uh, property that really just front and center, straightforward, expose what it is like to be, you know, a transgender woman in Japan in the 2010s uh, for all of the ups and downs that that brings. So if you've not read uh, The Bride Was a Boy, it is an awesome uh, autobiographical manga. It's uh, It brought me to tears the first time I read it, and then the second time, and then the third time too. And uh, Bloom Into You is another recent one. So I think really we're just seeing um, a lot more openness when it comes to sexual identity and gender identity and um, just uh, experiences and stories that stretch beyond the purely heteronormative and the purely masculine, which can only ever be a good thing. All right. When we look back over the decade, what do we think are the most significant trends in anime, the content, not the industry? Positive, negative, or mix? Gosh. I think CG is a big one that was like... Yeah, I I think definitely you're right in terms of like production. Yeah, in terms of week to week anime being made, CG, I think that's new for the decade. Mm-hmm. I remember like the first fully CG anime we watched, I think, was Ajin. And even, yeah. I don't remember when that one came out, but even back then we were like, well, this is interesting. I like the story. It yeah. doesn't look very good though. <laughs> it's coming a long way. I think it has a ways to go, but. Yeah. Um, for me, the other trend that I like noticed especially this decade was um lgbt characters showing up um legitimately in non-yuri or bl anime yeah just like outside of outside of being restricted to their own genre yeah exactly and i really hope that trend continues Mm -hmm. uh all the trends i can think of are cursed (laughs) um because all of the really big shit tends towards corporate exploitation of fandom space insecurities um Funnily enough, the least cursed one is one that jumped out at me when I went to uh, look back at the decade of shows, and that was the mysterious goth girl genre. They solve crimes, or they're just fucking haunted, but by God, will they create a narrative around them. And uh, there would be at least one of those shows every season for years. Um, I'm thinking about Gosik, uh, Otome Ex Amnesia, uh, another... I would always go, oh yeah, that looks neat, and then I would not watch it, uh, with the exception of another, which is trash. Uh, at least I didn't have the palate for it at the time, or it's just miserable in the boring way, I'm not sure. I don't care enough to check. Uh, it does have a gruesome Final Destination Massacre going for it, though. Like, there's a bit of a speedboat, and there's a bit of an umbrella. Those own. Check those out if you're, if that sounds like something you'd like. I suppose it's the start of the decade was also the time when the uh, cute girls doing cute things was in full swing. Although, Kaon makes me think of that more as an aughts thing. Either way, it's a fine genre whose critics are more often sexist or misaligned than useful. Um, going into actual curses, all praise and blame to my man, the Uro Butcher, for Madoka Magica, and the ensuing uh, quote-unquote 
dark magical girl shows. As is often the case in trends, damn near none of them hit upon anything more than uh, surface shock of the one of the decade's gems. And instead, what they decided to do was indulge in the most boring set of violence against women just for the sake of adolescent schadenfreude. We did get Okada Mari's seminal selector wake sauce out of it, though, so... Um, oh, I hear Yuki Yuna as a hero is also pretty good. So, win as far as I'm concerned. Um, after that, there's uh, Oremu and the Sister Fucker shows, Sword Art Online and the Isekais, which... Uh, Sword Art Online, also a Sister Fucker show spiritually. Uh, there was also the utterly reprehensible wave of slave life harem shows that we're just now starting to have to avoid. Um, and the genre of... that was so nondescript that I actually forgot about it. Absolutely. Totally. Until I sat down to record this. Um, the irregular at fascism and the soylent beige paste of magical high school shows that followed... Uh, with the exception of the Slave Lives, ugh, a genre that's so fundamentally bankrupt, I have severe doubts that anything good will ever come of them. Um, all of these have spawned, like, dozens and dozens and dozens of forgettable Derritus that, you know, in ages past would have made it to a free record shop or a blockbuster bargain bin. Uh, but there's also some real good shit there. Uh, Konosu was some of the hardest I've ever laughed at in anime. Um, Irregular at Fuck Off has its opening, uh, Rising Hope, a perennial gin anthem, and one of Lisa's best songs. And, you know, without the moral degradation of Aremu, perhaps we would have not paved the way for Scum's Wish, one of the best anime ever made. Uh, it's easy to get frustrated with cultural trends, especially with all of the culture being as cancerous as it is, but seeking out the good shit will always be rewarded. Um, oh, right. Uh, this may have been a long-simmering genre in previous decades, but while I was looking this shit up, I definitely noticed a lot of shows where the protagonist, plain text superpower, was just being super fucking horny. Um, to quote an image, subtlety is for losers. When I look back over the decade, I think one of the most significant trends in anime, and I'm not going to say that this is, uh, it's not even just within the production itself, but I think that the curtain from the Japanese side and the rest of the world has firmly been pulled back in terms of, like I said, not just in terms of production, but in terms of promotion, in terms of who is investing in anime. And I know a lot of people see this as a, a hard negative. Um, I think it's kind of a mixture. I think my main issue with this is that uh, you have animators in Japan still not getting paid a lot, still you know, being massively overworked uh, as a general rule. Um, despite the fact that a lot of larger companies, both in the West and in China, are in, are investing a lot of money in anime. So where uh, it's getting a lot of outside funding, it's not affecting uh, necessarily the people that actually make anime, which frustrates me because I hate when artists aren't 
properly compensated for things. And this is definitely a case where I feel like a lot of that work is undervalued. Now, is that necessarily a trend of the fact that anime has like massively opened up and we just honestly have so many larger bridges in terms of uh, people translating content and outside investors investing in content. And therefore we know a lot more about the production process. Um, I think that in and of itself is a positive. I think in terms of not just anime itself, but in terms of knowing a lot about how production works, uh, about stuff getting translated from individual animators within the blogging community, you know, you have things like Sakuga blog, where, you know, not a lot of people even use the term Sakuga in general discussion about anime 10 years ago. Now it's like a really common term that even if you're not, even if you don't consider yourself a, a quote unquote Sakuga fan, you do know um, what that term means beyond the literal definition of like a production drawing. And then you also know a lot more about the people who are actually making your anime. So I think that is honestly the largest positive in terms of just, you know, the internet and, and a ton of other things opening up that uh, bridge and pulling back the curtain. But I, I think it's a, it's a mixture of things, right? Because people still aren't getting compensated properly for their work. And that is always frustrating to me. Um, when I think about the decade uh, and the big trends in anime generally, um, I guess the proliferation of it, uh, there's just so much content. I, and part of me feels like you could say like the rise of like isekai style stories kind of, at least they're perceived to be sort of dominant, but really there's just so much. Um, and I, I think it's a good thing that there's just so much of it covering so many different things. Um, hundreds and hundreds of shows every year across all these different genres and things. I, I think there's basically something out there for everybody. Looking back at the trends of the last decade in anime, I believe the most significant trend in anime over the last decade was undoubtedly the way the anime industry really leaned into the idea of tailoring to the hardcore anime fan demographic. In past decades, lots of anime were always kind of looking to be a little bit more than just anime for anime fans. And I think that recently, uh, especially in the last decade, uh, maybe in the last five years or so, uh, the idea of anime for anime fans has really taken hold especially uh, i think it's an interesting contrast with anime becoming more accepted in the mainstream and more available to people we see the industry leaning into what i'm going to call the hug pillow demographic uh and a lot of branding uh you'll especially see this with crunchyroll uh with a lot of their video content as being by fans for fans uh specifically a lot of anime uh, in the past had a different kind of feel to them in terms of the idea of the power fantasy i say with finger quotes in comparison to the last decade uh in the past uh there was this idea of working really hard to become the strongest and the mightiest and climbing the mountain and overcoming the insurmountable odds 
in a lot of anime to really break through and overcome the obstacles in front of you. I think in recent years, uh, there has been a trend in anime to, well, a lot of anime characters being, well, to put it bluntly, morons. There are a lot of morons in anime now. There used to be not so many morons, especially morons as the protagonists. Uh, and they do just enough to succeed and win, but they're still kind of morons and you don't see a lot of personal growth or internal growth in changing very much. And I think that's a a different kind of fantasy for anime viewers. Uh, of course, with the onset of the isekai genre becoming as popular as it is, uh, you'll see the idea of the normal person being transported to a fantasy world, but is still able to thrive in this wild-ass anime fantasy world. Uh, also, uh, you'll see the protagonists in some anime of various genres to where they pretty much have no personality. That they're the the dude protagonist, or or you know, a other type of protagonist that has the personality of an overused toothbrush that's just been laying out for for the past few months, and they somehow attract women and men like flies, no problem. And they have no real distinguishing traits. And that seems to be the new fantasy now for a lot of anime. And that you really don't have to do a whole lot to be, be better. You just kind of have to show up. And, and, and even if you are tripping over your own feet and falling into somebody's chest, that's, that's still a win somehow in anime. Uh, I think it's kind of being self-aware and accepting of tropes more than ever. Uh, I think that's kind of a mixed bag, which I'll, which I'll get into a little bit later. But I essentially believe that you should always be reaching for level 99, with anything and you used to see that more in anime where people were always striving to be the very 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 best like no one ever was sorry had to do it but when you can win at level six is there really a point question three i know you must be thinking wait three well in on my, on my list the introduction counts as the first question so this is question three what beyond the trends do you think has defined anime of this decade? Well, I guess the first thing that jumps out at me is that there's just a whole lot of it, right? I mean, there's more of it being made than ever before, certainly exponentially more this decade than last decade. And I think that means that the, well, just because of the quality to garbage ratio, we get a lot more garbage, way, 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 way more forgettable stuff. But also, uh, in like raw number of things, we get a lot more really great stuff. Uh, beyond that, though, beyond those trends, if there's one thing, one word, or one idea that I think just defines what anime is uh, as we go into this uh, decade of the 2020s, I'm going to go ahead and say it's accessibility. It has never been easier to be a fan of anime, ever especially in the States, right? And I can't speak to the experiences of people in 
you know, South America or Europe or Africa or anything like that. But, you know, in the States, the the barrier to entry for the fandom was always so high because the amount of content you had was quite limited. The price of it was very high. And the ability, again, to share it with people was uh, absolutely kind of constricted to geography and, um, you know, economy. And now we have uh, this era of streaming where you have a few different streaming services of wildly varying quality that are not only snapping up all of the ridiculous amounts and numbers of shows that are being made now, but also have these back catalogs of incredible historic shows that, you know, otherwise would have been so selling for like $300 a disc on, on eBay, right? So I can go back and I can watch like every single episode of a Pat Labor. Or I can go back and I can start digging into the whole back catalog of One Piece if I wanted to, or the original Dragon Ball series or Dragon Ball Z, and or if I want to watch like this super obscure, you know, idol anime that back in the day never would have gotten licensed because it only would have sold like 15 discs, I can do that. And it has English subtitles. And we have simulcasting, which means that we can watch anime the day after it comes out, or even sometimes the day it comes out, in Japan, which is ridiculous when you consider the fact that it was not very long ago at all that if you wanted to watch a show, you maybe had to wait years to be able to see it. Uh, and it might not even be completed. You know, a show might stop getting translated halfway through because DVD sales were shit and there was nothing to do. And so you could wait years to try and finish a show that you really loved only to find out that you had to bootleg it or you had to learn Japanese because the licensors just could not afford to print the discs, get them, you know, shipped out and all that stuff. And today in 2020, um, for a fairly reasonable price compared to what you normally pay, I have access to like uh, more anime than I could ever watch in my life, ever. You know, I could watch anime 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and um, I have absolutely no doubt that I would never be able to get through all of the content that is currently available to me, which is cool, but also very overwhelming. Um, more than trends, what do you think has defined anime of this decade? For me, it's streaming. Like, I think that's what shaped the industry. Oh, for sure. The most. Yeah. Because now, like, anime kind of are made to cater to that. Like, we have whole shows that just go straight to Netflix. Yeah, that's true. We have stuff that doesn't doesn't stream on TV anywhere. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, for us over here, it was always kind of streaming. Yeah. The obvious thing to define this decade is affordable leading legal streaming. Um, it's never been easier to get quality versions of things you love or don't know that you're going to love. And I think that's very great. Uh, I'm from an era where we had to watch 320p, three-part bootlegs of anime episodes, and may have possibly visited very dodgy pirate sites. Um, my legal team says you can't know that for sure. I used to have uh, the Dragon Ball Z VHS tapes, and I don't want to know the selling price of them. And when you hear older fans and me talk about uh, the video market, like that's some real uphill both ways in a blizzard bullshit. Uh, something paired with that streaming is the broadening of potential uh, potential connectivity between fans and creators, which used to be relegated to letters or much more insular spaces like conventions or fan sites. All of culture has been accelerating as the spaces we use to be public have become 
just impossibly public, and anything you say can and will be used against you. So sometimes that means you'll get to bond with an artist you admire over bar stories, and sometimes that means all of the women on the internet suffer hell from teenagers, Nazis, and every bad actor in between every fucking day of their lives. Twitter, for example, has helped me meet very fast friends, uh, including the host of the show and share my work, including this show. But it has also harmed us in ways big and small, and I have the incredible fortune of being born a straight white male, so I got off easy. That said, the interconnectivity that has also democratized knowledge and how this anime sausage gets made um, is something that I am eternally thankful for. I'd especially like to shout out Kevin and the people of Sakuga Blog for the heroic work they do. Uh, fuck it, while I'm at it, uh, thanks to Bobda for a lot of good words and getting me into Monogatari. Uh, thanks to Steve and the folks of This Week in Anime for delighting in the trash and taking the boring bullets for the rest of us. Thanks to uh, Zach Bursty and Jacob Chapman from ANN, um, and Justin Savakis also from ANN, for indirectly fostering my love of this deeply compromised medium. Thanks to the Great Gundam Podcast. Thanks to Grant for being a ray of fucking sunshine. Uh, thanks to all of the pals that I have gotten very, sometimes overly enthusiastic with on Twitter. Uh, Doc, Shadon, Virgilia, thank you for having me. Uh, no thanks to the contact factories of niche news publications and anime YouTubers who peddle blatant or poorly researched falsehoods and manufacture that raise for attention. I know the hustle is hard after the crash and all, but please don't make the world worse for it. Yeah. Um, what beyond the trends do I think has defined anime of this decade? That is a really difficult question. Um, I'm not really sure if there's any sort of unifying force behind uh, looking looking back at this decade in terms of the actual content in anime in terms of stuff I have watched. Um, so this is obviously incredibly skewed, right? Because I am me for me as a person, me as a blogger, I'm not known for following a lot of things that are incredibly popular. In fact, when I came out with my list, uh, people weirdly called it hipster, which is not purposeful. It's just, I don't think I tend to watch the mega popular shows, uh, just because I'm not the target demographic, you know, like if I was younger, um, and when I was younger, uh, before I was blogging about anime, before I even like was looking at anime as a art form or anything else, just watching Sailor Moon and, and getting sucked into it. You know, I, I obviously watched things that were a lot more popular. I watched Sailor Moon, I watched Naruto, I watched Pokemon. Um, I actually missed the DBZ train, uh, but I'm sure like if I'd gotten into that around the same time, I probably would have watched the heck out of that too. So for me personally, I don't have a huge definition of what has defined anime uh, for the decade from a broader sense. But for me personally, I think when I look back at shows that I highlighted as my personal favorites of the decade, I think they're all defined by some sort of social commentary, whether that is social commentary that is very strictly and narrowly focused on Japan itself, like Although something like Moaru Penguin Drum has far-reaching implications, I think that it's a very Japanese show, and I think it's commenting uh, very specifically on Japanese issues. Um, similarly, 
I think that, uh, something like, uh, Hyoka is a really interesting look at that. I think something like, uh, Shoujo Kageki Review Starlight is something like that as well because of its heavy focus on Takadazuka. So, um, the things that are incredibly Japanese that I watched are, are Japanese social commentary. And then if you expand that out, uh, and you look at other things I watched, uh, like Gatchaman Crowd, or other things I highlighted as my favorites, like Gatchaman Crowds, uh, you know, uh, Kyoso Giga, Yuri on Ice, Flip Floppers, Yuri Kuma Arashi, Ping Pong the Animation from the New World, like, these are all trying to, uh, reflect on some sort of thing about the human condition, either in a very deeply personal, uh, emotional narrative with the characters, or from a broader human perspective. So for me personally, that was, that is what has defined anime of the decade. Beyond the trends, I think what has defined anime this decade, at least in my opinion, is its visibility uh, and some of the sort of mega hits that we've had, uh, at least here in the States, from what I can see, uh, things like Attack on Titan and so forth that just um, really kind of took over the public consciousness outside of just your sort of local fan groups and things like that. Aside from trends this decade, I believe the audience itself, the anime viewer, the consumer, uh, has defined anime in the last decade. Uh, Maybe not so much as the creators, whether it's the directors or the showrunners or the animators or or the writers or the mangaka. I think a lot of it is the viewing audience. And I think we have gotten to the point of there is a lot of product that is made for consumption and not necessarily for the sake of art. Uh, I think that's a, a bit of a mixed bag there. And I do think that there are a lot more characters to what I said earlier that have to do with character inserts uh, for the viewer. I believe there's a lot of viewer insertion in a lot of anime now. And I do believe that's a little bit of a mixed bag, like I said earlier. But I do think the biggest trend is... Uh, being more focused towards the audience and not letting artists and creators create an experiment. In terms of the quality of anime content, are the 2010s better or worse than previous decades? Well, I think I just answered that with my last uh, answer. Um, I mean, the ratio of quality to Drek is probably about the same, but because there's more anime being made than ever, we just get more good stuff. And I'm very thankful for it because I think a lot of the stuff that's been made this decade has been absolutely, truly great. Wonderful art, very meaningful to myself and a lot of other people. And so uh, for that reason, I'm thankful that the quantity has increased so that the quality thereby increase now that's a very selfish point of view because there's a lot of reasons that the increase in the quantity of anime affects uh, a lot of people quite negatively um, specifically the the workers involved in regards to the content of quality anime i'm gonna go ahead and say that the 2010s like every single decade are a mixed bag. I don't think we've ever had a decade where anime was just perfect. I I don't think that's ever been the case for any art. Um, 
Uh, so much of this is about generational trends and cultural trends and kind of what's popular at the time. I feel that it's very hard to, to quantify whether anime was better or worse in the 2010s compared to previous decades. There's certainly more of it, of just all stripes. So I guess you could argue that kind of by default it's better because for every crappy, terrible show you get, you get just as many shows that are good to great and also just as many shows that are forgettable or cynical marketing, you know, nonsense. Um, personally, I would not mind if we maybe could revert to a little bit more of the disparity in uh, target demographics that we had maybe before the 2010s. I, I think the very specific pandering to like young male otaku is getting a little old when it comes to just the kinds of stories being told uh, and beyond even like the queer representation or, or what have you. I'm just talking about the fact that these days, you know, every single anime has like, th there's maybe four kinds of protagonists that you're going to get and they're all high schoolers and they're either in a, you know, they're either solving some kind of supernatural mystery, they're battling monsters with their special ninja powers or they're, um, going through rom-com shenanigans or maybe they're, um, I don't know, a ghost. But they're all high schoolers, and it, it just, it. I would love to see more stories about adults. And so, I guess in that sense, the one, the one of the big drawbacks about this decade is that there just aren't as many stories about adults doing adult things. And now that I am an adult and no longer a high schooler, I'm kind of craving that kind of story a little bit more compared to just all of the many, 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 many stories that we get about teenagers. But hey, um, again, that's just me being old. And there's obviously a market out there for the youth focused media. I get it. I totally do. So I'm going to go ahead and be boring and say that the 2010s are different from previous decades, but not in a way that I would say is better or worse. Um, that's my answer for that one. In terms of quality of anime content, are the 2010s better or worse than previous decades? We'll let God be the judge of that, <laughs> I think. I It's hard to say because I didn't get into anime before, like, 2012. Yeah, we, that was we didn't, when I hit it. Yeah, I mean, like, the first few years of the decade... I know I was just watching like stuff, stuff that is like the established canon of anime, like um, Full Metal Alchemist and stuff like mm -hmm. that. So I think overall the 2010s were better than like the previous decade, the 2000 through 2010 decade. There yeah. was just so much rough stuff. <laughs> yeah. I remember anime from that decade being defined as like, you would say that something has a quote anime ending in that it just didn't end or it just went off yeah, the deep end. Yeah, I think that's really like the biggest thing I think that has changed in these two decades is that we chose tend not to get ahead of themselves as much. Yeah, things don't you, outpace the manga anymore. We're kind of beyond that. Yeah, we're just like, everyone has realized that it's not worth it to uh, deviate from the source material. Yeah. And that it's better to just make an adaptation of something that's already good. Like, even if it makes stuff suffer, like Attack on Titan has yeah. really lost steam that way. But, like, I think I think it is the standard now that we're going to have to do shows that way. Mm -hmm. Which I kind of prefer. I do, too. I, we also get so much more anime now that it's, like, more likely that you'll have big hits. And just, like, yeah. 
you will find it's like more likely that you'll find something that you enjoy now that there's just more anime being made all the time yeah i wasn't sure i was thinking about that too i just wasn't sure if it was just my perception that there's more no there because, actually is okay more. there actually is more i also think that it is uh, more common to get shorter shows to get yeah one core shows um instead of shows that run for the entire year yeah i think you're right which i think overall i prefer to mm -hmm. i mean i like something that's got like a tight story and yeah. like a narrative with some intention yeah i will take a really well told one core show over a like two core with lots of filler in it any day yeah it's also a lot easier to get your friends to sit down and watch something that's only 12 episodes yes <laughs> for sure instead of being like i know what you're gonna say but it is 100 episodes <laughs> yeah in terms of the quality of anime content, are the 2010s better or worse than previous decades? Well, we received three shows from Kunihiko Ikuhara, so that's a positive. Uh, but jokes aside, I think in terms of the quality, I think people like to complain a bit because they see so much more of anime itself because we have such incredible access now, right? Like, that that is a trend that I didn't necessarily touch upon when I was looking at um, a, a significant trend in anime, but it's on the periphery of it where I talked about pulling back the curtain and creating more of a communication between Japan and the rest of the world because so much more stuff is being translated due to the internet. Another thing that's obviously happened over the past 10 years is the rise of streaming and the rise of instant streaming, so instant distribution. Um, that means that we're getting a larger look at everything that's being produced and there's so much more stuff being produced. So I don't actually think that people are necessarily wrong to say like, oh, like anime is quote unquote worse now simply because the amount of stuff that's getting produced from a raw like numbers standpoint is just so much more which means that even though the cream still rises from the top, the the massive amount that's being made is not all of it's going to be good, right? Um, but I do think that there is a bit of a specious comparison where everyone likes to look back fondly through nostalgia goggles and be like, oh my gosh, like it used to be so much better than, well, no, not really, like we just weren't seeing it. So that's my take on quality. Um, I do think it's amazing that we got three Ikuhara shows, right, out of out of this past decade. So that was great, and I loved it, and I hope people keep giving him and other uh, creators that really like uh, money to do some, some really interesting and incisive things. In terms of quality, that's such a broad uh, question. For me, it's impossible to say uh, there is more of it is more of it better, more of it worse? I don't know if we're talking averages or what have you. I I really enjoyed a lot of stuff from this decade, so I, it, I think it was quality at the end of the day. Quality anime content. Are the 2010s better or worse than previous decades? I don't like this question at all, because it makes me worry that I'm turning into the bitter old anime guy. Uh, because I... I I did enjoy a lot of anime through the 2010s. I enjoyed a lot. Uh, but my favorite anime decade was the 2000s. Uh, that 
that decade had a lot of anime that really still holds up for me personally. Uh, I do think that the 2010s had a lot of really good anime and a lot of bad anime too. I do think that a lot good came out, but I think in comparison to the past, it might be slightly worse. Uh, I do think that there was a little less creative freedom. I saw a lot of anime that was playing it safe, uh, appealing to certain demographics, appealing to certain fan proclivities and sensibilities, rather than putting out something that may or may not have been the most popular thing in the world, but it was something worthwhile and artful, purely on its merit. Uh, my favorite anime uh, is is from 2006. It's Ergo Proxy. Uh, wasn't the most popular anime in Japan, uh, but did fairly well here in the West during its time. But I think as a piece of art... It holds up. Uh, it wasn't mega popular. Uh, yes, Riel Mayer is, is the goth chick that everyone loves. But I do think as a complete piece, it's, it's very, very good. And I, I saw a lot less of that in the 2010s. And I saw a lot more shows trying to be popular or artists and creators doing things that really that they're just kind of for fanboys and fangirls and that's okay because you can enjoy things it's okay to enjoy things but i do think that there was less artfulness in the 2010s and and i'm hoping the 2020s turns that around question five how has the way you consume anime changed over the decade are there any unintended drawbacks you've found to these changes? Ah, well, the 2010s obviously are the decade that streaming of anime legally has come to its own. I'm sure everyone will point this out that, you know, like same day stuff that comes out of Japan, we over here in the States and UK, uh, the English speaking fandom, uh, get English uh, subbed versions of it within a matter of, like, hours after it airs, which is pretty remarkable. Um, if you were an anime fan last decade, it's more than you could dream of, really. But I think the unintended consequences of this, right, are that there's just always new stuff coming out all the time, and there's not a lot of time to let things sit. There's not a lot of time to be impacted by things, to really think about things and chew on them, absorb them. Um, and that affects kind of online discussion in a lot of ways that, you know, the discourse as it were moves on so quickly from thing to thing. You know, there's always something new to talk about, always a new episode to talk about, always new memes to do. And, uh, you know, even stuff that's really meaningful and that fans love a lot gets, gets left behind. And, and also a lot of stuff that, you know, would not be forgotten in previous decades is simply forgotten stuff. That's good, you know, but is simply not good enough to withstand the tidal wave of new media that people feel like they have to consume to be part of, uh, anime discussion. 
as far as the consuming of anime, I mean, I already talked about the streaming of it, and I think that's really the biggest change. Um, just the speed and the pace at which I can and then must consume anime. Um, also, being a critic has really changed how I've uh, consumed anime. It has forced me to not only be more critical in a good way, you know, to think harder about what I consume, why I like it, why I dislike it, why this example of a genre is better than this example. Um, it's also really made me open up my mind and expand my tastes and my horizons. You know, I am the kind of person that gets really anxious about the ways that I'm using my time. You know, I get really uh, obsessed with kind of min-maxing my free time to make sure that I'm not wasting anything on subpar or middling material. And while that has served me well in some ways, I've gotten to watch a lot of classics over the years from across all types of media. It also can be pretty limiting when, you know, I'm scouring reviews and kind of balancing the pros and cons of every series I watch. And I'm not really diving into to material sight unseen the way that I might have when I was younger. You know, so many of the shows that I've come to love, like Evangelion, for instance, are shows that I knew nothing about. And I just watched it because I had an inkling it might be cool. And unfortunately, over the years, I've, I've lost that spark a little bit. And I've definitely, I, I, I've constricted myself to only watching what I already think I will like. And recently, I've really come to realize that I think I need to break myself out of that a bit. And being an anime critic has really helped me do that. Because a lot of times, I don't get a choice in what I review. It's handed to me, and I'm told to watch it and review it. And yes, that has meant that I have seen a lot of just unfathomably irredeemable garbage. It's true. But I've also seen shows that have completely and totally embedded themselves in, into my life in a way that I, I cannot be thankful enough for. And I would never have watched them if I wasn't forced to sit down and watch them. Um, a perfect example is Made in Abyss, where with Made in Abyss... I had heard a lot of stuff about how kind of skeevy and uh, questionably fetishistic the show could be. I had, you know, seen kind of the worst bits of um, sexualization and nudity kind of out of context. And going into the episode, I will admit, I, I was already sort of predisposed to be judgmental about it. I was telling other people that, you know, this is going to be trash. It's going to be, you know, gross. It's going to be another one of those... Um, just cliche fantasy anime that, that wallows in grim darkness and gets really pervy with its characters and it's going to suck. And lo and behold, it is one of the greatest anime I've ever seen. And I'll talk about that more when I get to the best anime of the decade section. But, you know, Made in Abyss is a show I would not have watched if I was not a critic and I was not expected to at least sample every single anime that, that comes out in a given year, or the major ones at least. So I'm more open-minded. I'm more, I think, accepting of just a, di a more diverse range of shows. But that being said, I've also really kind of come to understand my tastes better as well. For instance, I've come to understand that the specific kind of like light novel isekai adaptation, I probably will never like. Um, and it isn't even me trying to condemn the genre. It's just the things that those properties are offering are not things that I'm really looking for in my art. And I probably wouldn't have 
ever really been able to define that if I only ever just watch stuff that I already thought was good. You know, I, one of the benefits, I think, to broadening your palate and being more open-minded is, yeah, you learn about things that are good that you might not otherwise have heard about, but you also learn more about yourself and you learn more about what drives you as a consumer and a creator of art and of media and of culture. And you learn about the kind of things that you want your art and your culture to be. And I think that's really valuable. And this decade really saw a shift in the way that I do that and a growth in the way that I do that. And um, I'm very, very grateful for that. So that is something that I will look back on very fondly in the decades to come. Absolutely. Um, how has the way you consume anime changed over the decade? Are there any unintended drawbacks you found to these changes? I mean, we started out the decade watching almost only dubs, basically. Yeah, for sure. Um, That's how I got into it. Like, only dubs and only stuff that was all the way already out and that we can access through. I don't remember how we... In college, it was Netflix, actually, which is interesting because yeah. that's still how <laughs> it's... I mean, Netflix releases are dumb in their scheduling, but... Yeah, it's just like whatever was easy to access on the internet is how we started. Is that how we watched That's Monster? Yes, on Netflix. Okay. Back in like 2012, 2011. That's right. We um, we hooked up my Wii to my little tiny TV, and that's how we watched Monster. <laughs> the TV was so small that some of the, um, if the subtitles went to two lines, part of it would slip underneath the edge of the screen. It's funny. Actually, I remember also, I think physical media is still just as common, but that was mm-hmm. like... You just couldn't find stuff legally as easily in the beginning of the decade. Yeah. And I remember borrowing DVDs from a lot more people mm-hmm. and that being how I get into shows. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be honest and say that I would pirate most of the anime that I watched. That wasn't something I borrowed from somebody mm-hmm. because I didn't have a Crunchyroll account. And it's just like there just weren't as many streaming platform options. And I like didn't have a problem with that at no, the time either because it was just a different time. <laughs> yeah, I definitely remember watching shows in pieces on YouTube. Yeah, before oh my gosh. going to class in college, mirrored, mirrored. Oh my god, it was such a it was uh, such a shock when I started. Um, I was trying to catch up with um, Brotherhood, but it wasn't out anywhere that I could watch it yet. So I had to watch flipped versions and all of like oh Ed's. His uh, arm was on the wrong side. Yeah, everything was on the wrong side. And I was like, what is happening? Oh, that's classic. Yeah, I would pirate dubs, which now I've like, I would never do that now. <laughs> that's mostly what I pirate, interestingly enough. Yeah, it's not, uh, it's not that I don't like dubs. It's that I've found less dubs that I love these mm-hmm. days. And I just watch a lot more subbed anime. Yeah, I'll still go in for like a really, really tasty dub. Mm-hmm. There's some stuff that I really wish would get dubbed, like Thunderbolt Fantasy. Oh Thunderbolt Fantasy would be really good. So I started this decade as a deeply depressed teenager that watched a bunch of seasonal anime and did things like binge the back half of Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood in one day. I ended this decade as a fundamentally, exponentially happy adult that still gets depressed, barely watches seasonal anime, and does things like binge all of Gundam Victory in two days. In between that... I started looking up much more older shows, thanks to some best of lists. Uh, One more shout out to Jacob, Zach, and Justin. I realized I wanted to pursue a career about uh, writing about film, and I started taking notes, a practice I still utterly believe in, even as I lapse at least as often as every religious person does in their faith. Uh, And I went from gabbing about anime on a Bionicle forum 
to proletizing it to friends and readers of magazines like the Mary Sue, Anime UK, and Dutch magazine Anime. Um, I've learned a lot about film, about people, about myself in that time, and even though I'm still not in the place I'd like to be with regard to my habits, uh, watching anime or otherwise, I'm still grateful to all the good shit I watched and all the good people I got to discuss it with. Uh, the only real drawback I've experienced is just something I've always had, but transmogrified, I don't feel guilty for watching anime anymore, rather than doing a thing I used to avoid, which was homework, which I don't have anymore, but I do feel guilty for the times I declined to take notes or just for not writing about anime more. Um, the only way through that feeling, of course, is to follow through on my own convictions and do more of those things. So, to borrow from Nisio Eason's not-that-great Battle Royale show, Judy Tyson, uh, think about doing the right thing and then do the right thing. Uh, oh, shit, fuck. Uh, Battle Royale shows. Uh, those were a trend, I guess. Uh, I mean, Danger Up was popular. You had that thing with where they strapped bombs to everyone. I'm not Battle Royale, the other thing. Um, I think it was called Boom. Anyway, I'm pretty sure like Hunger Games and the Marvel movies were two things that got pretty big in Japan at the start of the decade. Uh, they did make that Iron Man anime um, right before Tiger and Bunny came out. Has the way... Oh, this is related to the previous question. How has the way I consume anime changed over the decade? Are there any unintended drawbacks that I have found to these changes? Uh, the way I've changed... Cha the bleh, the way I have consumed anime has changed drastically over the decade because of the aforementioned rise of streaming. Uh, previously, I watched it on TV. I bought a ton of DVDs and Blu-rays. I actually own a ton of anime, and my buying of anime to own has definitely changed from oh, this is on sale, or oh, I really want to watch this, um, into, I watched this streaming, I want to support, you know, something like uh, Penguin Drum, or Star Driver, or Suditama, or um, I never thought I'd be able to own Sailor Moon Sailor Stars in, like, an actual Blu-ray form. It's definitely turned into... Uh, not I want to watch this, and I might buy it sight unseen, or I will... Uh, torrent a few episodes because I'm a dirty, dirty pirate, and then buy the rest of it. Um, it's definitely turned into buying less and and really being picky about what I want to support financially. Um, but that being said, I have uh, more buying power now, but just simply because I'm older and I actually have a job, and so uh, combined with streaming. On the whole, I'd say I'd probably actually buy more anime now, despite the fact that I also watch a lot more of it, just due to the ease of streaming. It's, like, incredibly easy to consume anime now. Um, are there any unintended drawbacks I've found to these changes? Not necessarily. Again, I think it sometimes warps your perception when, like, everything is available, so you're kind of overwhelmed with stuff that is available to watch, and I feel like sometimes... My job is, by nature, something that has really giant bursts of, like, I have no time to watch anything. Um, like, right now, for example, I'm recording from a hotel room after covering an event. I haven't been able to watch anime at all this week at all. And 
that is unfortunate. So um, more than the way I consume anime due to stuff that's changed over the decade, I think it's really me that's changed over the decade. I, you know, and have been done with college for, for a while. I have more buying power because I actually have a full-time job now. Um, I think that affects the way I consume more than uh, even the rise of streaming necessarily, but obviously streaming is massive as well. The way I consume has changed. Um, there are more ways to watch than ever before uh, in terms of streaming options, uh, even physical options. Um, and it's no longer quite as hard as it used to be to watch anime. And that includes a lot of older hits and things like that. Like you can just go watch photoms right now. Like nothing's stopping you. Uh, that's kind of a wild place to live in, um, in terms of, of, of access. So my viewing habits have changed. I'm probably watching more now than even when I was younger in my heyday. And that's because there's just so much, so many more ways to get it. You know, I remember the news breaking that Crunchyroll was going legit and they were going to start looking to get official licenses with animation companies and and distribution and, and television networks in in Asia. And I remember the reaction being very polarized and actually more negative than positive. And I believed it was on the positive side because in the last decade, we have seen anime become so much more accessible and so much more affordable, and I think that's fantastic. Uh, I've always believed, and I will continue to believe, that if you put out a quality product at a fair price, consumers, for the most part, will pay for it. If it's something of quality and it is at a reasonable price, People will pay for it. Uh, maybe that's the 30-something millennial in me that hasn't completely written off capitalism just yet, maybe. But I do like that people are still willing to pay for content. I think that's good. Uh, I do believe that that is a positive. Uh, I like that even now, Toonami still has its place in the world on Saturday nights, despite not being the destination that it used to be back in the day. Uh, I like that larger outlets like Hulu and Netflix and the, the big mega conglomerates like AT&T, Time Warner, uh, take anime seriously as a venue, as a medium, as something that is profitable, for the lack of a better term. Uh, something that the masses can appreciate, and it can be distributed, and that is easy to access for everyone. And I think that is fantastic, because I was a kid during the tape trading days of the 90s i did not get much anime back then don't ever get it twisted the 90s were not the good old days for anime they were not they were the bad old days it was it was hard to get anime back then trust me big trust believe it it was bad but we right now and going into the next decade we are in a golden age of anime content and I appreciate it. Maybe that's me being an old guy, but I certainly appreciate how much easier it is to get anime than it ever was. Question six. 
what are the most significant changes you've observed in anime fandom, domestic or foreign, whichever you know best, over the decade? Well, (laughs) as social media has proliferated and become ubiquitous, uh, the toxic element in fandom has made itself more vocal. It's more easy to connect to like-minded individuals. And that can be good and bad, but I suppose when you're talking about toxic fandom, it's bad. Um, and, you know, you have anonymity as, as your shield. So it's easy to do things like mount harassment campaigns against artists. Um, and that is... Uh, pretty heinous thing that happens too often once is too often but i I guess the flip side of that is you know you have events like um you know tragedies that happen like the kyoto animation fires due to how connected we've all become this decade it's far easier for us fans to like directly positively impact the industry you know through uh, giving uh, through philanthropy, through positive messages, uh, fans can, you know, personally and without a mediator, like influence or influence is not the right word, but but impact, I guess, to use the same word, um, the industry and, and individual artists and creators within it uh, for the good. You know, as I said at the beginning, though, there's darker sides of that, but. Um, but I suppose it's good to focus on on the good. And, you know, with streaming too, like being such a big thing, um, just watching shows uh, makes a, a direct sort of impact that just wasn't possible in prior decades when we, you know, were just purchasing home video. So those are good things. For the changes in fandom... Um, I already talked about the social media aspect of it and just the the coming together and the ballooning of fandom in a way that I think young me and I'm I'm sure even the older, you know, the old taku out there that are even older than I probably never would have predicted. Um, I mean, at this point, anime is basically mainstream. You know, it's it's never going to be as popular as, say, you know, the Netflix shows that are catching fire all across the country or whatever's on Disney plus um, or maybe not never, but we're still a long way off from say uh, toilet bound Hanako Kun being uh, a smash hit across the globe. But um, you know, again, it used to be that if you were a fan of anime, um, you were a nerd in the bad way or at the very least in the way that made most people kind of ignore you whenever you started talking about it. And maybe you had a few friends that were like-minded and liked this stuff, but, you know, it was, again, it was hard to access. It was hard to, um, get a feel for. And now you just, you get on Twitter, you get on Facebook and within seconds, you can find dozens, if not hundreds of people who would love the exact same things you do and want to celebrate it in the same way that you do. And maybe even have a different perspective that can enrich yours. So in that way, I absolutely think being a fan of anime has never been better because it's easier and it's more fun because there's just more fandom to interact with. And the gatekeeping really, I think, has actually gone down because 
you can't really gatekeep something that is universally accessible. You know, if we're talking about, you know, a, a school's anime club in 2004 and someone maybe wanted to become a fan of anime and wanted to see what it was about, but that particular anime club happened to be filled with a bunch of, you know, douchebags that only wanted to watch certain things and didn't want to be open-minded, um, that could absolutely limit someone's ability to access and become a fan of anime. But nowadays, I mean, if you want to watch something, you just type it into Google and odds are it'll pop up. And if you want to talk about it with someone, and if you want to celebrate it, if you want fan art, if you want fan fiction, if you want, you know, cosplay, it's all just immediately available to you in a way that it never was before, not even in the early 2000s. So I think that's better. As far as worse, again, with with the rise of the internet and with the rise of giving literally everyone on the planet a potential platform to speak their mind, you get a lot of shitheads, <laughs> and you get a lot of... of uneducated or ignorant or non-communicative people who are not necessarily out there to enrich other people's experiences. They are out there to make other people's time in the fandom worse. And that sucks. That really does. That sucks. And I wish and hope that we could find a way to eliminate that part of it, to, you know, take all of the Nazis and pedophiles and racists and misogynists and maybe just put them on their own little island where they can have their own stupid internet that doesn't have to poison our experience. Um, maybe that would be better. I don't know. But yeah, um, even with all that crap there and, you know, easy for anyone to see, even with people getting, you know, doxxed and harassed, I still do think that the anime fandom experience is better than it ever has been because there's just so much of it to be had and there's just so much joy and positivity and friendship and camaraderie out there that always existed, but it was just never visible because, you know, there was, there was no way to see it. And the rise of smartphones, the rise of social media, the rise of streaming, all of those things have just made the ability to um, express your joy as easy as it's ever been in the history of humankind. And that's kind of cool when you think about it. Um, I'm not going to lie. I kind of came into this uh, best of the decade, especially the fandom questions. I was worried that I was going to be a big old bummer in regards to, you know, social media is ruining everything. But the more I think about it, I mean, yeah, it definitely kind of sucks that social media brings Nazis with it. We should fix that. But it also means that you never have to lose touch with the people you love. And you can find even more people that you love uh, without even having to leave the comfort of your home. So I think that's a good thing. I think that fandom is better for it. I think that the industry is better for it. I think that the world is probably better for it in some ways. And I'm hoping that in the coming decades, we can really isolate and focus on all that good stuff and find ways to leave the bad, not good stuff in the dust. That's my new decade resolution for all of human civilization. Let's see if my optimism doesn't get the better of me. Um, what are the most significant changes you've observed in anime fandom, domestic or foreign, whichever you like know best over the decade? I think it's gotten a lot broader. Fandom culture? Yeah, fandom culture and like, I don't know, the internet has just helped really spread it around and I think there are a lot more people who are more casually into stuff. For sure. Like the con boom got huge this decade. Yeah. It's like, it's a lot less niche for people to go to conventions. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true of not just anime fandom, but just... um 
like even comic, comic book conventions yeah. yeah yeah for sure and especially since like we've got some this decade has given us some like big genre fiction properties like game yeah. of thrones and, and star wars and stuff coming yeah, back for sure yeah it's like it's definitely bigger i think it's pretty clear to a lot of people that anime is not a genre it's a medium now. i would like to hope so yeah and i think that i think that you still have like your niche fandoms but they're you it's like you can find your spot within anime now mm-hmm. um something i think it's i think now it's like so easy for anyone to start their own youtube channel or a podcast that's true which was like it was a lot m- like less common at the beginning of the mm-hmm. decade and there was only like a handful of anime podcasts that i could find at the beginning of the decade yeah you're right and now it's like uh, <laughs> all of my friends have one <laughs> and i have so many i can't even listen to all of them <laughs> and it's just really easy to start one by yourself yeah i mean there is also the fact that we got into the like we made a podcast and then got into uh for sure like, i just made a bunch of podcaster friends i just remember uh Back in like 2013, I would look for anime podcasts mm-hmm. and there was like four <laughs> that I could find easily anyway. Mm-hmm. And one of them was Don's <laughs> Anime Nostalgia. Um, discourse is oh, just, God. has just taken shape. It's become a menace. Uh-huh. I remember like 2014, 2015 discourse. I don't even remember what it was about. Like, I don't remember what discourse used to be about before it was about what it's about now. There just wasn't, like, moral policing in the same way. Yeah. Everybody was just in their own little corners. Don't like, don't read. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Personally, for me, I think a huge change this decade um, is how fast, like, shows and fandoms cycle now because there is more anime being localized so quickly and at the same time as it's airing in japan Mm -hmm. which was not common in the previous decade um like like a big hit show would come out and then it would stay in like the fandom culture for years yeah like that would be the fandom that you're in for years and years yeah and like people would cosplay like cosplays wouldn't come out of that until like a year after because there would be a lag and then like a year and a half after the thing aired in Japan, it would get a dub and then yeah. it would get another another wave, another wave. And that doesn't happen anymore because things get dubbed right away. Um, so, yeah, people things would last for like five years. And now it's like if you are not if you aren't cosplaying it while it's still airing, <laughs> you're like yeah. late to the game. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, it's like things get basically a year or two and then it starts to become like forgotten, mm-hmm. which is super sad. I actually really. That bums me out a lot. Yeah. So anime fandom, I'm saying so a lot, uh, anime fandom is always something I've had a weird sort of peripheral distance toward on account of me not being in the United States. Um, lots of theatrical releases and theatrical releases and conventions have gone by to leave me in their envious wake. I never took more than a passing part in single fandom communities after that. It's a bionicle stint. But... Once I got on Twitter, it's just mostly a long, overly distracted socializing with more chill voices in fandom writ large. Um, so fandom to me is sort of an ocean I live next to. I don't really go swimming much, but it's always a part of the scenery. Um, that disclaimer slash building room, 
<laughs> Buildings room um, intro aside, the twin poles of Tumblr and 4chan have propagated the cultural trajectory of turning things into you love into things you supposedly are, since identities online are increasingly too young or too broke to form around what they allegedly used to, which was their vocation. So, industries of corporate interests stay winning by feeding that trend. So much energy has been spent tearing others down for the sake of fictional produce across every political spectrum, and it fucking sucks. Uh, I'm almost sorry for all the soapboxing I'm doing, but I'd like to have my armchair reads to at least have a point. So, please, um, folks, use that energy to build each other up, make new art, make some friends, chill, be good dudes, dudes. I guess one good thing to come out of all that identity production and mirroring is that many people who would have otherwise not have the language popularized by Tumblr or weird transgressive media that anime can sometimes be generous with to help them on the path of realizing and talking about sexual orientation and gender, even as those same sources read out, reach out toxic, restrictive messaging to punish that sort of thing. Um, I met a ton of great people of backgrounds that I would otherwise be much more closed off to, mostly thanks to wanting to, to talk about um, anime. I, so, you know, as compromised as everything is, um, I still think that's a good thing. Where are the most significant changes I have observed in anime fandom, domestic or foreign, whichever you know best, definitely uh, my domestic market, um, but it wouldn't be domestic in terms of anime because that would be japan over the past decade um i think the most significant change i've probably observed in anime fandom is the way that people comment on anime and i think that has also has a lot to do with the rise of streaming and also the rise of social media so when i first really started blogging about anime um Social media was not nearly as prevalent as it is today, and streaming was non-existent pretty much. So we had a ton of anime blogs, like an incredibly large network of them, where Twitter, it existed, but people were kind of using it to promote their blogs, to create watch communities, um over Skype, those kind of rows, uh, even with people torrenting stuff and, and sharing files. So it's kind of like post-tape trading, DVD trading, moving into the streaming area, which is a very weird, nebulous time in terms of fandom and how people participate. Now, all I see is people doing, like, Twitter screenshots and doing, like, massive watch threads where they just tag what they're watching and they post screenshot after screenshot after screenshot. Uh, blogs are, are way down. Like, I have no idea why I'm still blogging other than the fact that I'm just a writer and it's the, the easiest way that I can express myself by writing a post rather than posting on Twitter because I'm effing terrible at social media. Uh... I think that's that's a major change that I've observed in the fandom. I've never been a huge convention person, to be quite honest, so I can't comment on how people interact in life. Um, one thing I will say that social media has helped, though, in terms of going back to a lot of other points I've made just uh, about opening up 
and and bridging the gap between like anime is for is for weirdos and it comes from Japan and and we don't know much about it to now where we have so many inroads towards knowing about production, knowing about individual animators, knowing about every single show that's released, uh, being able to communicate with those people on social media, that's insanely massive. And so uh, that's another change that I've obviously not even necessarily observed as an outside observer, but have, have been a huge part of. Um, and that for the most part, I think is, is honestly a net positive, uh, regardless of, uh, some of the drawbacks of social media that are incredibly obvious. I think it's really amazing that fans can, you know, let, let people know how much, uh, they appreciate animators work. Like right now I'm seeing a ton of people, uh, reach out to, um, Yung Choi or Che and uh, and uh, Masaki Yuasa and Science Saru about keep your hands off Izokin and they you know they're posting on social media and they're they're posting their reactions and there's a really cool rapport between the creators and the people who are consuming their anime that I see on social media every day and I think that's actually really cool. In terms of significant changes that I've observed in anime fandom that's so hard for me to say just because my fandom experience well let's take that back i guess the rise of social media as being sort of linked and to fandom is new for me and that's a trend i've noticed i guess just being more plugged in to fandom because growing up it was much more local or these little bubbles on forums and things like that. And obviously forums uh, still exist in some cases, but you've got discord channels and things like that, but big gathering places like Twitter uh, allow for a lot of different fan groups to interact and overlap in a way that's just very different um, from what I was used to in the past. The most significant change in anime fandom in the last decade has been size. Sheer numbers. Uh, Anime fandom in the last decade has grown exponentially. Uh, And I'll give you an example. Uh, I served in the Air Force. I did four years in the Air Force from 2003 to 2007. And when I got out and and returned to my hometown, uh, one of the first things I wanted to do was go to an anime convention. And I found a local anime con that was only at about 3,000 people. Uh, Over that decade, over the last decade, it has grown to somewhere in the 20,000s. It's reaching 25,000. And that is absolutely incredible. Just the sheer number of people that enjoy anime, talk about anime, cosplay anime characters, have this wealth of knowledge about anime, animation from Japan, is absolutely incredible. It is something that you can see across all ages and all demographics, and that is fantastic. Again, it kind of makes me feel like an old guy, kind of makes me feel like I'm kind of not fitting in the way I used to, but hey, what are you going to do? That's that's what happens with father time. You know, where I'm, I'm in my 30s, it happens. It'll happen to you too. Deal with it. 
I'm starting to notice that there might be a little bit of an immaturity to this fandom now that that I am a little older, but that's okay. I, I take that for what it's worth, and, and you should as well. But I, I think that the fact that it has grown in size and the idea that anime truly is for everyone is pretty fucking great. Question seven. Do you think these changes have led to an overall better fan experience? Boy, I mean, questions five and six taken together, I guess, when thinking about anime consumption and how it's different and how fandom is different, it's really hard to say. I think that there are things that are better and things that are worse. Things that are worse annoy me a lot. Harassment campaigns and discussion the rapidity with which it moves. Uh, th- those things, uh, certainly the former of those two is very upsetting. The latter is, of course, th- the stakes are not as high, but that just makes me sort of feel alienated a bit as a fan. Um, you know, it's really difficult to keep on top of all new things that are coming out and discussion of anything that is uh, older. You know, let alone things that people have real nostalgia for, like Evangelion, right? I mean, that was the... It's like possibly the greatest anime ever made, and people talked about it for a week when it was re-released. I've talked about that before on the Kick the Beckett show, but I think that's just an unfortunate side effect of the way fandom has become. Um, It's certainly great to be able to just hop online, use a hashtag, and you're there talking with... And, you know, friends, um, it's easier than ever to go to anime cons, you know, the con experience is what I'm not familiar with though, but there seem to be more cons than ever. Um, and those are, are great ways to connect, but that's not really a change. Although I guess the increase in number of cons is a change, but probably for like the average fan, I think the changes are better. Because most fans coming into anime are younger. They haven't seen stuff from, I don't know, like 2008, let alone 1995. So they're much more interested in the new stuff. And the anime, you know, online anime fandom in terms of like discussing new shows and everything, it doesn't seem like a super high barrier to entry. I mean, you have gatekeepers, of course, but like it's... um, I don't know, my own experience, which is all I can speak to, like it's it's pretty easy to jump in and start talking about shows that you like that are currently airing, and that's a good thing. Do you think these changes have led to an overall better fan experience? In some ways, but not in others. Yeah. I do think it's a bummer that shows cycle through so quickly because that also makes it harder for new people to get into stuff mm-hmm. if they approach stuff and then all of a sudden it's gone and they're like, oh, yeah. I like this one thing and that's my only anime. <laughs> Yeah, it's also like being really into something and like it's it's harder it's harder with streaming to like recommend things to people if mm-hmm. they are not into anime, they don't have anime streaming services. It's like you either watch it with them or they have to wait until, you know, a year from now when it comes out uh, mm-hmm. in physical media. But at the same time now there's a lot of anime on Netflix. Yeah, and that... like a lot of people a lot of people have access to Amazon also. Yeah, those two things. So like in some ways it is easier for for like non-anime fans to get into it Mm -hmm. 
I think that the I know the amount of things being localized so quickly has so many drawbacks, but I think overall it's better for mm-hmm. Western anime fandom. That it's just that that there's so much available legally now. Yeah. It's like it's to the point where it's such a pain to pirate anything that that's actually the number one reason why I don't pirate anything. And then the second is because I want to support the industry. Mm-hmm. But like if it is becoming easier to not pirate things, then I think that's, that's better that's for the a, industry. That's a plus. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think I also think the fact that there are just a bigger number of anime fans in the West now, I think that's a positive thing. Mm-hmm. So to lead into the next question, do I think these changes have led to an overall better fan experience? I'd have to say yes, because um, it's a lot more difficult to gatekeep, I think. And it's the all of the things that were kind of hidden in terms of the way that people interacted with anime previously. Like, if I am blogging, or if I am writing fan fiction, or if I am drawing fan art, all of that is so easily available now, so that if you are not, um, you know, if, if you're not, uh, how do I put this? A person who is marketed to regularly in society, um, you can still interact with ease and you can find your own corner of the fandom. Um, that's really cool. And and we see a lot of different types of people responding to anime itself because it's far less of, (laughs) Um, a, a corner or, uh, you know, like even geek culture itself has become mainstream, right, over the past decade. So I think that's great. I think anything that widens the audience and makes it more diverse is really awesome. So, yes, I think it's led to an overall better fan experience because you can react and uh, talk to a variety of different fans, and I think that's great. I don't know if I can definitively say if the fan experience is better. I think the fan experience is just bigger. There's just more of us, which means there's going to be great places and bad places and places that are a mix. I can only speak for myself. My personal fan space is more positive and encouraging than it's ever been. And it wasn't like it was super bad in the past. Uh, I just got, I'm in a really great space with some really great people and so for me, it's great, but there's, again, there's so much to watch. There's so many things to be a fan of. There's so many places to engage with other fans. There's just no telling what your individual fan experience is like. I believe the growth of anime fandom across age demographics, across gender lines, across racial lines, across international lines is exactly what you want in fandom. And anime is such a large, large medium. There's so much for people to enjoy. Uh, Anime is and always has been more than just one thing. And that is fantastic because I love seeing people of all ages enjoy this. It's why uh, my my first love uh, of fandom, Star Trek, uh, is why I'm so excited to be seeing this resurgence in recent years because there's going to be the new Star Trek Picard series, there's Star Trek Discovery, there's going to be two animated series, one on Nickelodeon, one on CBS. Uh, these things are going to be covering all 
all of the bases and all of the age demographics, and I think that's absolutely phenomenal. I think the more people, the better, and the more young people, the better. That's that's what everything needs. It needs growth. It needs youth. It needs energy. And I think, uh, despite my occasional annoyance with immaturity, I think that's awesome. Question eight. What was the anime industry's, domestic or foreign, whichever you prefer, highest high and lowest low of the decade? Boy, this is a question. I mean, the lowest lows have to be the horror stories of, you know, artists dying at their desks, dying on the job. You know, just the, the continual malpractice, basically, of the industry when it comes to taking care of its workers. And that's not a specific point. That's just a very troubling thing about the industry. Um, that is the lowest low. I guess also the Kyoto Animation Fire is, is pretty rough. You know, that's certainly a single point you could point to. Is you know, That's not really self-inflicted by the industry, but it was extremely tragic. And it was definitely a low point for a lot of fans. Also, the streaming service, Daisuke, a low point for anything electronic and digital streaming in my life, anime or otherwise. Daisuke was just terrible. The worst online experience I've had <laughs> when trying to watch anime. Awful. Um, to inject a little levity into this discussion, uh, what's the highest high? It's hard to say. I'm very curious about what other, what the other guests will say. I don't know, maybe your name uh, and how well it did um, in the in the box office and, and internationally. That was such a unnoticed thing. It was such a, such a big thing. And it's great when anime does really well and makes people take notice of it. But yeah, I'm super curious what uh, our other friends will have to say. So when it comes to the highest highs and lowest lows of the decade, um, highest highs was so hard. I honestly had a really difficult time pinpointing the just apex experience of the decade because I, I don't even necessarily know how I would define that. You know, are we talking about the moment that showed what anime can really do as a medium? Or are we talking about the moment that proved that, you know, anime wasn't a mistake and I, I'm, I'm not qualified to identify any of that, so I went with um, an answer that is maybe a little disappointing. But um, I, I kind of, as a tie, I said Attack on Titan and the release of the movie Your Name. And neither of those things, I think, are the, are the best examples of their respective genres or mediums or anything. Um, I love Attack on Titan and I love Your Name. They're great. They kind of would count as kind of my favorite some of my favorite content of the decade, not necessarily the best, but I do think that both of those shows, uh, both the show Attack on Titan and the movie Your Name by uh, Makoto Shinkai, I think that they are emblematic of how mainstream and accessible animes become. Attack on Titan was one of the first really huge streaming hits of the decade. It was one of the first anime that if you had Hulu, right? You could sit down and watch Attack on Titan. And there were a lot of people 
who never watched anime in their lives, or like maybe only knew a little bit of Dragon Ball Z from when they were a kid, who would, sat down and would watch Attack on Titan and treated it with the same seriousness and respect that they would give to something like uh, Lost or Game of Thrones or any number of prestige uh, American live-action dramas. You know, it was one of those moments where that old cliche of, you know, anime is cartoons for adults actually kind of worked in a good way because there was this understanding that, yeah, this is something that could probably only be done in animation. And I think the live action attack on Titan movies prove that. (laughs) And this is something that you can enjoy, even if you're not, you know, a weeb, Um, you can enjoy it. Even if you're not an animation fan, or you can enjoy it, even if you're not a manga reader. And so attack on Titan, even though it kind of fumbled its own success a little bit by, uh, staying out of the spotlight for so long, I, I really do think it's difficult to argue that Attack on Titan didn't shift the whole industry in some way, or at least it didn't represent a shift in a way that uh, other shows haven't quite. And Your Name is the same thing, except I think for theatrical distribution. You know, uh, movie theater, the whole movie theater industry is changing in a way that I don't even feel qualified to break down in this already too long uh, interview, but needless to say, the way that we consume movies is different these days, and the fact that a theatrically distributed anime that wasn't directed by Hayao Miyazaki was able to make any kind of cultural impression in the U.S. is kind of astounding. And you know, I have relatives and friends who don't really give much of a shit about anime at all. And they went to go see Your Name in theaters, and they adored it, and they loved it, and they thought it was great. And so, I mean, I don't think it's a game changer necessarily. I mean, it's we're still not at a point where I think an anime is going to win the Oscars or anything. But we're we're seeing that tide really shift in in big big ways this uh, past ten years. And I think you know the twenty twenties, the twenty thirties, uh, provided the earth doesn't melt, and provided the anime industry doesn't completely collapse in on itself because of its horrible business practices. Um, I think that's only going to get better. So that is my pick for the highest high of the decade, the lowest low. Um, that was actually, unfortunately, uh, really easy. Um, it was the, the, the arson at uh, Kyoto animation, um, that injured and, and killed so many of the incredibly talented staff members and, and artists there. Um, I mean, there's no other incident that I can remember ever happening as in regards to the genre, uh, to the industry that was just so abjectly terrible. You know, I didn't even really know what else you could pick for the lowest low because I mean, I, I don't care how much you hate any given anime. It, it didn't result in the deaths of, of actual people. And I mean, Japan was deeply shaken, obviously by this tragedy. They are not used to the kind of mass violence that occurred on that day in the way that maybe us Westerners and Americans are, which is its own kind of tragedy. And even thinking about it now, I'm getting a little emotional because the fact that so many people um, had to suffer and, and die because they were just trying to make art that would make people happy is um, really shitty and awful and terrible. And it is far and away without any competition, the worst thing to happen to the anime industry not only this decade, but probably in the last 50 years. And um, uh, 
God willing, it will never happen again. I would really love to think that we are not going to have to go through something like that again, because that's just terrible. Um, what was the anime industry's highest high and lowest low of the decade? Um, I couldn't say for the Japanese industry. Yeah, no. I do, like, I feel like there was an anime lull in, like, 2017, where there was just, like, there were a couple of seasons in there where there was just nothing coming out that we wanted to watch. And it was, we, like, fell out of watching things seasonally for a little while. Log that year. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Maybe that was the only reason. I think uh, there's definitely been some huge film hits. Yeah. Like, theatrical releases that made it big here in the States. I feel like that's another thing that's changed a lot. We didn't used to get any showings of anime films mm -hmm. in our town, in yeah. our town here ever. And now we are getting even like smaller stuff. Yeah. It's like they show the Ghibli stuff like every month or two, yeah. which is cool. And then, so it's just kind of always in the theater consciousness that there's like sometimes anime stuff. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. And we're getting new stuff faster. A little yeah. bit. Um, I think your name and Promare were probably like the two biggest mm -hmm. anime movie hits around here anyway yeah um so yeah highest highs being uh things making so much of an impact that non-anime fans get excited about them mm -hmm. as for a low i think i think funimation really got dethroned this decade yeah as like a leader <laughs> like the leader in dub stuff yeah and i think it's just hubris uh, yeah, I mean, like, it's a lot of decisions that their company has made. Aside from all of the drama in the last yeah. like, two years, I think, uh, like, it is very clear that simul dubbing has so many drawbacks. Yeah, and just, like, produces significantly lower quality products. Yeah, it's, it makes awful dubs. <laughs> yeah, it makes bad dubs. Like, it's not the fact that some things get simul dubbed that ruins it. It's the fact that nothing gets the dub treatment like it used to mm -hmm. from Funimation where you had like you waited until stuff was out. So whoever was writing the script understood it from front to back. Yep. Like and could really take care with the writing that stuff. Like anytime we see somebody at a con who talks about having to adapt a script for a simul dub. Yeah. It just they make it sound like yeah. it's miserable. <laughs> like every time every time. Uh, we've gone to an industry panel about script adapting or about simul dubbing or anything like people in the industry are aware there it's like yeah the people who have to do it are not the people who are making these yeah. decisions mm -hmm. and they are not in favor of it no very very clearly and openly <laughs> they're like it just makes it just makes their work harder and less good yeah um i just i like do not understand how much of a demand there is for simul dubbing yeah i guess because we hang out with a lot of subs purists yeah. and like maybe there really is enough of a demand to warrant that but mm -hmm. like i don't think it's worth it yeah i think it's i think it's not <laughs> Ugh. i'm not a fan of that yeah funimation just seems to be a little bit less connected with what anime fans want or just at least a little bit behind <laughs> yeah also they're streaming just, <laughs> just it just really Dream sucks. Player sucks. It sucks, sucks so bad. <laughs> it's hard for me to remember specific instances of anime as a global cultural force, but I did really like it when every Olympian skater uh, got really into Yuri on Ice. 
it's cool when the new get <laughs> the new game the new day where Ginyu Force outfits and uh, Michael B. Jordan's shouts out Naruto. Uh, I enjoy those uh, one of us moments, not because there's some sort of validation, but because I enjoy how art's influence filters down and across and into people, um, and how they live their lives and make what they love in return. Uh, it's also pretty fun to be, when uh, we were part of one collective conscious losing their mind over Devilman Cryberry, <laughs> Devilman Crybaby in uh, 2018 and uh, relitigating Evangelion in 2019. You know, art given room to hit with such fucking force that it makes our f fragmented viewing habits into one shared collage thing. Uh, but what I really want to shout out is Kyoto Animation. Um, for not only creating some of the best anime of this or any decade, but for doing so in what sometimes felt like the only workplace and a business that prioritized the well-being of its workers and was doing all it could to help its part of the industry grow rather than just survive. Um, so yeah, the Kyoto Animation Fire, uh, oh, that was a fucking horrendous thing to happen. Uh, the worst thing to happen to the best people. I don't really want to get back into it. Uh, I mean... Alright. All I'll say is that I wish nothing but the best for all those affected. Um, yeah. Okay, that being said... Um, the other... There's another horror. Because <laughs> there always is. Um, which is looming over the way the industry, <laughs> which is loo- mm. Man, the Kyoto Animation Fire fucking sucked. Fuck. Okay. Um, mm, mm. So the other hoarder looming um, over the industry is the way it has mistreated its people. That, it's nothing short of monstrous, and um, none, none of us should watch anime without that thought. Um, without thought towards better action. Um, none of us should forget the cost of what we enjoy. Um, there's dismal pay, murderous hours, every corporate indignity under the sun. Like Miyazaki compared it to designing the fucking Zero Fighter, and he's alright. Like He's the most celebrated person in the industry. Like, <laughs> he's probably responsible for some of that fucking shit bullshit. Um... Like, more coverage can improve things, but the weight of culture and callous distance is always going to lie to us and say that, you know, things are fine or they're worth it the way they are, and things are not fine. There's, like, no... <sighs> Look, things aren't going to be better somehow in some sort of Hegelian progress or end of history or that kind of bullshit. Like, there's no better future but the one we help take uh, so keep an ear out for where you can help and, you know, uh, put the pressure that you have, um, to good use. Like, there's, you can't always do a lot, but you can always do a little. What was the anime industry's domestic or foreign, uh, highest high and lowest low of the decade? Hmm. I have no idea how to answer this question, actually. I can't think of a highest high in terms of 
like production or or show or anything like that because I feel like I don't have enough informed opinion on the production side. Um, in terms of lowest low, the only lows I can honestly think of are like really unfortunate events. Uh, so, for example, the recent Kyoto Animation Fire, I think, is a really awful tragedy um, that has obviously, I feel like the repercussions of that haven't even necessarily really been felt yet, uh, despite the fact that we have seen uh, a lot of Kyoto Animation's response and the fact that they haven't been able to produce much this past year but beyond that, like, the, the cost of human life is is just awful, you know, and, and that makes me really sad. So I know that came at the tail end of the decade, but in terms of lowest low, I can't think of anything lower than that. Sorry to make this depressing. I think probably to me, and this is just from where I'm sitting, the highest high for the industry has got to be uh, the Olympics after Yuri on Ice came out, where the the commentators had to explain anime, right? I mean, what a what a wonderful little moment where these ice skaters make people have to talk about anime on the world stage like that. What a what a ridiculous moment and kind of a wonderful little little uh, piece that very few shows can claim, if any others. Um, in terms of lowest low, um, I don't know. I mean, from I mean, from my perspective, I guess it's just the sort of ongoing um, low pay and and low compensation that these animators are getting for all this work for, that we very much appreciate and love. It just it seems like they are working uh, incredibly hard for very very little and can barely make ends meet, and that's pretty heartbreaking. Uh, I'm going to get into my lowest low later on, uh, but the highest high was one that I really had to think about because uh, on APOS, we, we do like to cover news. We, we like to talk about big anime news stories. We'll bring guests on and we'll talk about the news of the day in the world of the animes. Uh, and I remember the significant moment for me being, uh, after looking it up, it was December 2nd. 2013. Now, why December 2nd, 2013? Well, this was the day that the news came out that Peter Chernin, a former head of news group, that big corporation, uh, and uh, Peter Chernin and his investment company, the Chernin Group, uh, purchased a controlling interest in Crunchyroll. And at the time, Crunchyroll was at an estimated price of just under $100 million. Uh, and the thing about that was, here is Crunchyroll. Crunchyroll was originally a pirating site for anime and drama. And then they went legit, and, and at the time, the anime community on the internet lost its bleep. Absolutely lost their bleep. Uh, but fast forward a few years, uh, here is a, a large investment firm purchasing Crunchyroll uh, for nearly nine figures because it showed that 
anime was worth something, and it was worth a pretty significant amount. And here was this big-time CEO uh, saying, yeah, I, I think we'll purchase this. I think this website, Crunchyroll, I think this anime stuff might be worth something. And now look at where Crunchyroll is. It's it's massive. It's absolutely massive. Uh, I would say that that was as big, if not bigger, than any deal Disney might have made with Studio Ghibli through history. Uh, I think that was absolutely massive for the anime industry, uh, and it uh, not just made Crunchyroll uh, the powerhouse that it is, but it showed that streaming wasn't going away, and it showed that anime as a medium was not going away, and that's fantastic. Number nine. Do you find yourself more or less excited about anime now than 10 years ago? If you haven't been a fan for 10 years, then how about now versus when you began? Probably now, just because I don't, I mean, I know I was in a, I was a, an excited anime fan in the early 2010s. I guess I just wasn't aware as much as I am now of, you know, what the industry is like, who... Uh, creators are the, the fact that there's always going to, this is like the, the upside of all, there always being new stuff coming out, right? The discussion may be adversely affected in my opinion, but the excitement level, um, you know, you always get new, like four times a year, there's this, this glut of new stuff. Um, and also there are way more films coming out in the States, uh, in theaters, way way more these days i feel and so you know the, the past decade got us to this point um and it's it's great i love the fact that like every month you know there's either like a new film coming out or there is um like a re-release uh, or not a re-release but a, a a showing in some theater or other of a classic anime film you know be it ghibli or satoshi khan or or someone else now, in more positive news, to bring this up a bit, uh, am I more or less excited about anime than I was 10 years ago? Um, mostly more. Mostly more. I'm not going to lie. Uh, being a critic has kind of turned anime into work, which might sound like a funny thing to complain about for people that would kill to be paid to watch cartoons. But as with any job, no matter how much you love it, when it becomes an obligation and when it becomes something that kind of takes time out of your own personal uh, projects and other things that you need to do it can be more stressful than fun and especially during like preview guide when even as i record this i'm gonna i'm already trying to figure out how i'm gonna watch six or seven new shows today and write reviews about them and then make sure that everything gets posted and formatted um that can be a little stressful and that's maybe taken a little bit of the luster out of it for me but that's small potatoes compared to the fact that like i said there's never been more anime there's never been anime that is this affordable to legally access and to, you know, use to support the industry with your money and with your time and with your resources. Um, there has never been, I think, this much uh, creativity is shown on the side of fandom where you just have so much engagement with fan art, fan fiction, cosplay, um, all of these things that make engaging with anime so much more rich than just sitting down to watch it and that's it. So yeah, I love where anime is going for the most part. 
again, I would maybe cut down on the isekai crap, and I would absolutely cut down on all the weird um, pedo shows that have, and and maybe maybe pedo is the wrong word. I don't I don't necessarily want to denigrate. Uh, th- I would really love it if we could just stop like over sexualizing the kids. That'd be awesome. That'd be great if we could really tone that down. That'd be that'd be a, a, an objectively good thing. There would be nothing lost from doing that. But um, even though there are genre trends, and even though there are some industry trends that aren't so awesome, I think anime is in a great place, and I think it's only going to get better from here. So I guess to recap, uh, am I excited about where anime is now? Absolutely. Just um, maybe find a more diverse range of material to adapt. Um, Stop producing so much questionable erotic content that involves children, please. And also, uh, anime studios, pay your artists, please. uh, Pay the people that make your art. Uh, They need money to live. And they need to live if you want them to continue to make the art that you make money off of. So um, if we could just get those things done, and probably some others that I'm forgetting, then yeah, I think anime is in a great place. And the 2010s were wonderful. The 2020s, again, hopefully will be better. Uh, do you find yourself more or less excited about anime now than 10 years ago? If you haven't been a fan for 10 years, then versus when you began. More excited now, certainly. Well, that's awesome. Well, you started in high school, right? Oh, yeah. But that wasn't in this decade, though. Yeah, that's true. Um, I didn't... Uh, exactly in 2010, I hated anime. Because <laughs> yeah. I didn't know what it was. And I didn't want to turn into a weeb. And Danny was scared. I made him watch Full Metal Alchemist. I don't know. It's hard to say because when I first got into anime, like I only had a handful of shows that I cared about, and mm-hmm. man, I loved them. Yeah, and I sat with them for years, and like, and we like cosplayed them, mm-hmm. and I was like really, really excited about the handful of shows that I liked, and like going to cons was new, and cosplaying was new, and I was just I was like way into it, but like for way different reasons than the way I consume it now. Yeah. I feel like I'm as excited for anime now. I don't, like, produce as much related to that excitement, I guess. I mean, we podcast. We do podcast. You're right. Um, But, I mean, we don't cosplay. We don't go to as many cons. We Yeah. I think, for me, my excitement has shifted a little bit to be, like, now because I know I have so many more anime friends now, Mm -hmm. whereas, like, I mostly had friends in person before. And, like, my excitement is more to get into something with my friends. Mm Mm-hmm than it is with the thing itself now. Yeah. Okay. Despite my hyper-condensed and still-too-long sermons, yes, I am more excited about anime now than I was ten years ago. I was excited about anime the way a drowning man is excited to find pieces of a life raft. (laughs) I had some good taste, you know, even then, uh, so I enjoyed it. But it was mostly just me holding on season after season and going, uh, wow, cool robot between breaths. Now, I have room and understanding to behold anime and take it apart, and in general, I do a good job of finding more interesting things to like and talk about. Uh, I wish I'd committed to memory names and styles that the SakaGov community has, but, you know, I think I do alright. And when there's at least one show every season that blows me away and material going back decades to uncover, like, I'm richly rewarded for that interest. You know, life's pretty good. Um, Do I find myself more or less excited about anime now 
than 10 years ago. If I haven't been a fan for 10 years, oh, I have been a fan for more than 10 years because I am old as uh, the now versus when you began. <laughs> so I think that I am pretty much equally excited as I was 10 years ago. I am excited in a different way than I was pre-10 years ago, because again, I'm 35, so I'm older, I think, than the average anime fan, and I've stuck with it longer than kind of that that average of like two to three years where someone's like really intensely into it and they're blogging about it and stuff like that. Like I've, against all odds, continued blogging about it, um, and I'm I'm still like super excited when I see things from creators that I really love or going back and watching things from creators that I really love. So like, for example, this past year, you know, uh, Sadazan Mai came out from, from Ikuhara and I was so jazzed about that. And I blogged it every week and it was an amazing experience. Um, and I love that show. Uh, I don't necessarily trust myself to rate it yet, but like, you know, previous year I got really into, uh, review Starlight um, and it, it's just, I feel like I always find something to get super, super excited about because it's a creator that strikes my attention or it's a creator that I already know and they're coming out with a new thing. Um, so that for me is, is really why I still get excited. I think the manner in which I get excited or what I get excited about. So like the site, the excitement level is the same. However, the things I'm excited about have definitely changed because I do feel like, and again, to tie back into a lot of my answers previously, I feel like I'm a much more well-informed fan because I can go online and do so much more research on these animators, on Japanese history, on a lot of the references that are made uh, in the anime I watch, and that just allows me to be a more informed viewer and just in general, in terms of uh, art and uh, my understanding of, you know, framing and cinematography and stuff like that, like, it was something that I learned in school, but I feel like my ability to parse visual language has increased over the past decade uh, tremendously. And that also ties into um, my excitement level, so... I find myself more excited now than 10 years ago, for sure. 10 years ago, I wasn't in fandom and I was actually in a multi part of a almost 10 year long hiatus that had started before uh, 2010 had come around, but ended partway through this decade. Um, I was just not, I had kind of retreated into my own space. I felt like my time with anime or the time that anime was quote unquote good had passed, you know, had, had, had come and gone and I only remembered it as a past tense thing. So I'm much more excited because I'm back. Um, yeah, most definitely. Do I find myself more or less excited about anime than I did in 10 years ago? Honestly, it's probably about the same. Uh, a lot of my favorite anime, like I said, came out in the decade previous, the 2000s, but that doesn't really take away from the fact that I did enjoy a lot of anime from this decade. Uh, I'm happy that anime is so easily accessible and there is something for everyone. That is fantastic. And 
it never gets old. I, I enjoy finding anime that I might like now more than ever, especially with it being as easy as it is. What individual creator or creative team do you think really put their stamp on this decade? Look, it's it's hard to go away from Masaki Yuasa uh, for me as an individual creator, but he, you know he's only really come to prominence at the end of the decade. I would probably say for like general audience or general anime audience rather, uh, it's it's got to be Kyoto Animation with Free and sound euphonium and um all sorts of their other you know violet evergarden they really just knocked it out of the park this decade and probably tight moon i feel like uh be it with the games and anime like it feels like the the tight moon train is unstoppable at this point Individual creators and creative teams that put their stamp on the industry. Man, um, I am so bad at remembering names and, you know, the names of studios and stuff that I can already tell you that there is far too, there are far too many ridiculously talented people to list and I've forgotten almost all of them. And so I deeply apologize if there are some genuinely deserving um, talented artists and writers that I just haven't mentioned. Um, I, I whipped this list up pretty fast, and these were the the names and the, the the companies that stood out to me at the time. So when it comes to what pops into my head, uh, Makoto Shinkai I think is obviously one of the biggest new voices to come out of the decade. I mean, with five centimeters per second and your name, and now I know Weathering with You was also a huge hit in Japan. Um, it. it we still have to see how it's going to perform overseas, but I don't like to call people the new Miyazaki. I think that's really reductive. Um, no one is ever going to be Miyazaki, just like no one is ever going to be Walt Disney ever again. And trying to cram people into that label is not a good thing. But that being said, I mean, Makoto Shinkai is probably the most prolific and impactful feature release director to come out of the industry in a long time. You know, if you went to a regular American film critic and mentioned Makoto Shinkai's name, they might know who he is. And that's saying something. That really is. So he's obviously put his stamp on the industry. And whether you think that is a good thing or a bad thing is, again, I think up to your personal tastes. Um, Studio Trigger, you cannot talk about the 2010s without talking about Studio Trigger. Uh, The 2010s were when they burst onto the scene and basically became the cult favorite studio turned mega hit favorite studio. I don't know what else to say. Uh, Kill la Kill, technically Gurren Lagan, even though it's a Gainax anime, everyone knows it's really, it's a trigger anime. Um, Little Witch Academia, freaking Promare. I mean, everything trigger has made has more or less been great. I mean, even shows that not everyone loves so much, like, um, um, oh, I just forgot the name of the show. We might have to cut this part out. But um, Kiesniver. Rah, thank you. Uh, even shows like Kiesniver, which not everyone loved as much as, say, Kill la Kill or Little Witch Academia, that show kicks ass. Um, I genuinely do not think Trigger has made anything bad yet. Um, there is, well, we're not going to talk about Darling in the Franks. That doesn't count. 
Ignore that. Darling in the Franks doesn't count. That's not Trigger's fault. Trigger tried. <laughs> I do not think Trigger should be blamed for Darling in the Franks. So, yeah, Trigger is great. They make great shit. They should continue to make great shit for the next 30 years. Go Trigger. Um, this might be cheating a little bit because the work in question technically started in the late 90s. But, you know, Evangelion 3.33 did come out in 20, what, 13, 2014? So it still counts. I'm going to go ahead and say it counts. Uh, Hideaki Anno and Studio Kara, the current uh, overseers of the Evangelion franchise. I mean, it's the most influential anime ever made outside of maybe Astro Boy or whatever uh, landmark masterpieces Ghibli has produced. And it continues to influence the industry and it continues to be a, a landmark production. You know, the fact that people today are still falling in love with Evangelion and it is still transforming lives because of those movies, because of the work that Anno is doing. Um, that's awesome. And yeah, Anno, great. Studio Car, great. Uh, Kyoto Animation, again, um, not just because of the fire, obviously. They are not defined by the tragedy that happened to them. They have made some of the greatest anime of all time. Even anime that I don't personally love, like... Kaon, Amagi Brilliant Park, Free, uh, Melancholy of Hari Suzumiya. I mean, these are all shows that are huge. They're big deals. The studio is a big deal, and I think it would be ignorant to try and catalog the most impactful studios or creators of the decade, and not to mention Kyoto Animation. Uh, some of the most talented people in the industry work there, and it will obviously, um, its legacy will last far beyond the fire because. Now, they're going to continue to produce great work for many years to come. And then, of course, um, Doc and I discussed this on the Kick the Beckett podcast. Um, you guys are going to be listening to a whole bunch of wonderful episodes about it for the Warui Death Show podcast. Um, Aizoken, keep your hands off Aizoken, director uh, Masaki Yuasa. Um, not only did he already make one of the best anime of the 2020s, he produced some of the most incredible shit of the 2010s. I mean... The Devilman Crybaby is a masterpiece just without question or argument. And Tatami Galaxy is great. Pretty much everything he's done has been... It's ranged from excellent to a benchmark by which all other animated art should be judged. So Masaki Yuasa is a legend. He's a living legend. And I can only hope that he will produce just as many incredible things in the 2020s as he did in the 2010s. And, I mean, if Keep Your Hands, Azorkin, is anything uh, to go by, I'm, it, it's looking like that is going to be the case. What individual creator or creative team do you think really put their stamp on this decade? The only thing my notes for this say are Trigger's really been out there, huh? <laughs> yeah. Trigger, like, really put a period on it with Promare, I think. Yeah, they did. I just feel like most of the stuff they've put out this decade has been, like, big yeah and it's been really like like it's really made a mark mm. in terms of like being its own thing being different um i think wit studio really i think they have shifted i feel like they've helped step up the like threshold for the quality that people mm. expect from animation like from week to week shows for animation mm -hmm. like it used to be I feel like, I don't know if this is completely true, but I feel like it used to be rare to get a show that it was really well animated every week. Mm -hmm. And like, Wit kind of is one of, like, Wit and KyoAni are kind of some of the studios who are making that, like, expected. 
Um, also, personally, I like for me, one of the highs of the decade is just going to be Yuri on Ice and yeah. uh, Kubo and Yamamoto just like really putting putting it out there. I like feel bad for people who didn't get to watch Yuri on Ice week to week and as it aired. like as it aired and just go through that with the entire world. It seemed like yeah, and just like the shift that it it caused in the mentality of like fandom and expecting and really looking for like lgbt content in Mm -hmm. anime i think it shifted attitudes i like i don't have proof of this but i actually think it shifted some attitudes in the industry like in the japanese industry my recency bias is definitely going to show here but the first people i'd like to thank uh are uh Kyogoku Takahiko and Studio Orange for turning Land of the Lustrous into not only one of the greatest anime ever, but a real show pony for whatever CG anime can achieve. Uh, they have, you know, expert crafts, strong visual direction, um, especially impressive for an anime adapting a manga whose greatest strengths are a mastery of gray tone and paneling. Uh, also, if you liked Lustrous, you are obligated to watch Kyogoku's previous work, the seminal Snow Halation music video. Next, I want to shout out uh, Hiroyuki Samano for some of the most distinctive soundtracks in a business, mixing orchestral and electronic music into undeniable bombast. Uh, Kill a Kill is still his best work, but you should definitely listen to the more classical Gundam Unicorn soundtrack and that glitch rock end he did for um, Aldenoa Zero, Allies, the lie is in the brackets. Um, I'd also like to congratulate uh, Nakamura Yudapan Yudika, for being the animator everybody wants to for their big shonen uh, fights, uh, who's done some incredible things experimenting with digital animation, and whose quirks have become industry shorthand the way that Obaris or Kanadas have. Uh, Get you a man who has cubes named after him. Another director I'd like to shout out is, um, of course, Misaki Yuasa. Um, I'm sure plenty of people are already doing that, so I'll be brief. Uh, He's amazing. Nothing else looks like the things he helps create. Uh, go watch the Tommy Galaxy. Go watch Ping Pong. Go watch Gentleman Crybaby. They all rule. Uh, my actual director of the decade pick, though, goes to uh, Yamada Noko. Um, this is a woman with an investment in character acting and lighting so strong that she has molded an entire studio around her. Uh, she inspires talent like um, Ogawa Taichi and Utsumi Hiroki, who... Uh, sorry, Hiroki, uh, who, that's probably still wrong, I'm sorry, um, who listeners may remember from a little show called Banana Fish. Um, her work with uh, Ushio Kensuke uh, to make anime that follows music score rather than the other way around has led to two of the best anime films ever made, uh, A Silent Voice and Liz and the Bluebird. We are just incredibly lucky to have her around. Um, and yet, and yet, I have one final personal odd. Um, one name that towers over all others. The one, the only, the mortal enemy of this show, uh, hated by Logic Bros and all the wrong film majors. Um, no, no, no shade intended, Shad. Uh, Okada Mari. Uh, Shadon, I am taking over Wari Desho, and I'm doing it to spread some Kakoi Desho. Mayoiga um, The Lost Village is one of the best shows of the decade a masterful use of slasher fake texture to craft a story about fuck-ups building a community with other fuck-ups so they can live with their regrets. Um, because Mario Kata, uh, 
<laughs> sorry, habit, Okatamari, uh, is the uh, writer slash director who will always tell you that the themes are for losers and that you should just go make some fucking friends, uh, even as she builds towards different, better themes, effortlessly undercutting her own plot beats while indulging in melodrama the same way Sherlock Holmes indulges in opium. Uh, Okatamari goes in on every script. She is so powerful that Kawamori had to rein her in when they made Aquarian Evil, and the result was Aquarian Evil. Okada, you're a legend. O Maidens in your savage season is your best work yet. I promise you I will watch Makuya when I have the time after this. What individual creator or creative team really put their stamp on this decade? Um, I think for me personally, this answer is going to be different than a lot of other people, but tying into pulling back the curtain on animators and people, um, before this decade, Ikuhara's most well-known work was Revolutionary Girl Utena, and previously he had worked on Sailor Moon, so people knew of him as a director coming out of Toei who produced this one amazing work, right, in, in Utena, and he hadn't done anything since. And then in this past decade, we received Penguin Drum, we received Yorikuma Arashi, and we received Sada Zanmai. And the, that is three defining works of this decade for me personally. So if I had to see someone who really put their stamp on this decade, it would definitely be uh, Kunihiko, Kunihiko Ikuhara. Um, I also think that you see his influence in a lot of things. Um, for example, uh, Hurukawa, who did um, Review Starlight, was a, a I guess, a, a director that came from his animation tree. And there's like, you know, they're giant. There's a giant, like, uh, tree that's still out there where you, people have just tracked uh, Ikuhara protégés or people he worked with while he was at Toei and, and where they went after. Um, another another one of my personal favorite directors, Ikadashi, also came from this. Uh, so I would, I would definitely highlight him as the person who put this stamp on the decade. I think a lot of other people's answers would be radically different because, again, this is... You're talking about me, who, when I hyper-focus on anime, it, it's always that kind of... I hyper-focus on Ikuhara, or I hyper-focus on uh, an artist like Masaki Yuasa, or, or something like that. So, uh, because I'm more inclined to watch these niche shows, like, comparatively niche, I think, to the vast majority of anime fandom... Um, I think this answer is probably going to be a bit different than other people's, but uh, that would be my answer. In terms of individual creator, I mean, it's it's hard not to give it um, to David Pro, the, the the JoJo's guys and, and folks over there, because the the way JoJo's has um, left its its stamp on at least fan culture and meme culture and stuff like that. It's it's hard not to to give them a, give them a nod, give them a little tip of the hat for, for leaving a huge mark on, uh, on how we think about anime and how you interact with fans online and all that kind of stuff. 
I firmly believe that the 2000s belonged to production IG. And in the 2010s, I think that in a runaway, and nobody was really close, uh, was Kyoto Animation. Uh, And that brings me to my lowest moment uh, from the previous question, and that was the fire in July of 2019. An absolute tragedy, absolutely terrible. Uh, But of all companies for that to happen to, I believe there was really no company uh, beyond Kyoto Animation that was putting out the level of successful and popular anime through the 2010s. Uh, Personally, just speaking for myself, uh, Wit Studio put out some good stuff, but I think that Kyoto Animation was absolutely undeniable as the studio of the 2010s. Unless I missed one, then we we can talk about it. Let me know on Twitter or talk to me. uh, Send me an email on APOS. I'll bring it up. Question 11. What is your favorite anime that came out this year? Oh, we're just talking about 2019 now, I guess, here. Um, And boy, um, I think if I had to say my favorite show that came out last year, Probably Mob Psycho 200, as Shadon and I like to call it. The second season of Mob Psycho 100 was a tremendous, tremendous achievement. Um, and I loved Vinland Saga quite a bit. You can hear me talk about that on a regular uh, podcast. We have uh, a show for every episode of that of that series. Uh, and Saraz and Mai, of course, was uh, amazing, amazing to watch week on week. Favorite anime of the year? Um, you can see my full list of the best anime of the year on Anime News Network. We just published that pretty recently. But as far as the number one title that I went with, uh, Carolyn Tuesday, baby. I mean, there's just not much for me to say that I haven't already written a whole lot about other than... Um, it is a ridiculously beautiful, amazingly produced, and fun show that is the exact breath of positivity and joy and empathy and a celebration of human connection that I think the world is, is desperately missing out on um, in this day and age. And maybe this is me speaking just as an American that is struggling a whole lot with the ridiculously crappy political stuff that is going on in his country. I'm going to go ahead and just make that stand right now. But, I mean, Shinichiro Watanabe is another living legend. I mean, he produced Cowboy... Or not produced, he directed Cowboy Bebop. He's responsible for Samurai Champloo. Uh, Terror and Resonance is something that I liked, even though it's maybe a little more contentious. Uh, Space Dandy, obviously, Kids on the Slope. So, uh, much like Masaki Yuasa, pretty much everything Shinichiro Watanabe touches turns to gold. Carolyn Tuesday is no exception. It has some of the best original music, um, or I guess the the best original pop songs that I've heard in an anime. And maybe it's my English language bias, but it's really refreshing to hear um, 
music in a show about musicians that sounds like it legitimately could be on the radio, it really kind of helps with the believability of the world and the believability of the journey that these characters go through. And more to the point, the show is just such a bastion for diversity. You know, we have um, characters from all sorts of ethnic backgrounds. We have characters of different sexual identities or different gender identities. We have a world that is explicitly about allowing the oppressed and allowing the disenfranchised to rise up and to reclaim their voice from those that would maybe try to rob them of that. And is it perfect? Does it get everything exactly 100% right? No, but it's hard is in the right place. And it is one of the shows that brought more smiles to my face than anything I watched all year, um, animated or otherwise. And so that was a pretty easy pick. I'd say maybe Vinland Saga was a really close second. I absolutely adored that show. It picked up so much in the end, especially. It just blew my mind on just a weekly basis. But if I had to pick one over the other, um, I would go for Carol and Tuesday because it gave me hope that 2020 might be better than 2019 and 2021 might be even better than 2020. And it has been hard to be optimistic about the future lately. And, and Carol and Tuesday did just that. So if you've not seen it yet, it is streaming in Netflix um, in its entirety. Uh, the English dub is incredibly well done. The actors and actresses that they got match the singers very well. And so there's no real um, transition issues there either. So it, I can't recommend it enough. Carolyn Tuesday, please go watch it. Go see it. Um, it's great. It's wonderful. Um, it's beautiful and amazing. Um, what is your favorite anime that came out this year? Gush about how great it is. Banania season two, obviously. <laughs> We haven't even finished it. That's fine. We know the twist now. We know that the bananas are aliens. <laughs> I think uh, I'm going to have to have a three-way tie. <laughs> um, I liked Mob Psycho 102. That was my first one, too. It's so good. Um, Kimetsu no Yaiba, I was a big fan of that one. Yeah. And uh, uh, Stars Align. Stars Align. That's yeah. going to be one of my favorites of this year, too. Uh, I really enjoyed Fruits Basket. Like, I know it was just a redo, yeah. but I. It was such a nice way to round out the decade, just having Fruits Basket come back and getting to uh, re experience that with a much better anime. Yeah. That was just a darn good show. <laughs> yeah. This was not in the decade. It was uh, 2006 or 2007, but it was one of my very first anime. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Shadon hasn't banned me from this podcast. Uh, my favorite anime from this year is the aforementioned O Maidens in Your Savage Season. I have yet to encounter a piece of fiction that is so funny and so incisive about that weird period in your life when you know what sex is, um, you don't have enough experience to have any real thoughts about it, uh, but society and certainly your school are sure as hell going to have some thoughts about you vis-a-vis sex, all of which is infinitely more fraught as a woman. Uh, That all of this is framed from the perspective of a bunch of literature nerds who find the books they read uh, true windows into this world, you know, in the sense that uh, they're both barrier and view, is a tremendous twist, and from Okada, the most accomplished self-own ever. Uh, The first episode of this show ends with a sex joke so perfect, I think about it to this day. What is my favorite anime that came out this year? So... If we're looking at this past year, uh, would be 
2019, um, I would definitely have to say, uh, Sava's on my, um, to, to keep up with the trend, I think it's probably close between, uh, between Carol and Tuesday and Sava's on my, uh, Carol and Tuesday is an amazing show that I think tries to tackle a lot, uh, via looking at the music industry. And I really love what Watanabe does with that. I think he falls short, uh, in addressing some of the issues. And actually you think saw this on my similarly also fall short in, in some of the issues it tries to address, but saw this on my is just, uh, an amazing show that I think is still, despite the pushback it received from a lot of Ikuhara fans that expected it to be more like, uh, super incisive, super, anti-capitalist, super socialist, like that, those are the things that we, we watch Ikuhara for. And I think it fell short of people's expectations in that regard, including my own. It doesn't mean that it isn't those things. It just means that it's not as, I don't want to use the word dark because that, I hate, I just hate how it's overused. Uh, but I don't, I don't think it's as incisive. That being said, I will say specifically through the, the marketing. So I'm going to get into spoiler territory here. You can cut this out if you want. Um, specifically in the marketing of two characters, uh, Ro and Mabu, I think that it is actually quite incisive in terms of the way that the world looks at gay men. Um, I do think that Ikuhara, another thing that happened with the show is that he has done so many things about being a queer woman. And this is the first time he really addressed being a queer man. And, uh, it was a little bit clunkier. Uh, it was a little bit, I guess, less of a, a deft touch that we've seen from some of his other shows. But I still think through, uh, Ryo and Mabu, who unfortunately you did have to see a lot of like pre-release content. Uh, there was a manga that wasn't actually a summation of the show. Like a lot of his previous manga projects have been that have come out simultaneously, but it was a, an odd prequel that also is, is very dreamy and kind of weird and marketed in a very specific way to kind of present these characters as just like, oh, it's the two gay dads and their daughter, and it's very cute and, and fluffy, and this is how we're going to present it. And then going into the show, they are effectively the villains, but the real villain is actually society, as always. Uh, as it is in anime, it also is in life. Uh, so I think I still loved Sarazanmai for that, and I also think that a lot of people ripping into it really underestimate how much more difficult it is to have catharsis. I think catharsis is very difficult to write well, and I think this, this show was still very cathartic, even if it lacked that perceived edge that a lot of his other shows have had because they've either ended on, like, like Yuri Kuma Arashi, for example, I think, uh, in my opinion, the, pre the show that he released previously to Sarasanmai uh, in 2015, that ended on an incredibly bittersweet note where it's like, we still have so much to do. Uh, we still have so much to go. 
Um, and this show ends with everyone being happy. And it's kind of the first time that's ever happened in the show of his. And it still felt really cathartic to me, especially with the main trio that we spent the majority of time with. So I still really, really loved that show. And that was great. My favorite anime that came out, I assume it says this year, but I'm going to assume it means this decade. Um, for myself, it's probably Space Battleship Yamato 2199, and that may be a particularly odd pick, I guess, uh, since it came out in 2013. didn't have a very uh, wide release here, and we're only really now just getting access to it again the past couple years um, because of a bad Pioneer release. But part of what brought me back into fandom was realizing seeing something like Yamato 2199 that was movie quality OVAs of a scale and of a type that I hadn't seen and I'll really ever. And knowing that new things were being created regarding old properties I already liked or regarding older anime and that it was being done with kind of love and care. And that I was seeing, and it could also be rebooted and reimagined in a, a way that was both faithful and sort of grew the property, I think, and grew that fiction and that world uh, in positive ways. So it reminded me of why I liked anime to begin with and just kind of was like a signal to me that there may be a lot of stuff out there that maybe I don't enjoy or don't have time to get to, but there's always going to be something that's going to appeal to me that's brand new and just over the horizon. So. 2019 was the year that I realized I really like cop shows in anime. I, I think cop shows in anime are really, really cool. And the one that stuck out to me in 2019 was Copcraft. Uh, that was just a fun show. It was kind of an inverted isekai where we had the girl from another world who was transported to the real world. And it became a buddy cop show with heart and detective K. Mataba. Uh, it was the best buddy cop show in years. I was telling people, it's not an isekai. It's not even a reverse isekai. It's a buddy cop show. Uh, if you saw on Fox, they had uh, the Lethal Weapons series for a little while. They had that as a series. This was better. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, there was a lot of action. It was very violent and very bloody. Uh, the animation was very bright and very colorful. Uh, it had fun characters uh, throughout the entire series, uh, along with Kay and the girl. Um, everyone loved the girl. I liked Kay. I thought Kay Matabo was the coolest dude. Uh, the opening theme song was fun, uh, and it finished strong, uh, which is always a problem in anime. <laughs> we all know that sometimes endings don't go the way you want, but I think Copcraft finished strong as well. Uh, it tackled issues like crime in the big city, politics, social issues, racism, urban development, while still being hilarious. The show was hilarious and action-packed and fun. My personal anime of 2019 was Copcraft. Unless Hero Mask came out in 2019. No, it did. It's second Second season was in 2019, but Hero, Hero Mass was probably my anime of 2018. But for 2019, it was Copcraft. Did this decade produce any of your all-time favorite anime? Which and why do you love them? 
well, Devilman Crybaby came out this decade. And if you want to know why I love it, you can listen to the podcast that I did with friends that you've been listening to now for a while, Danny and Kay of Anime is Lit. Shadad and I talked uh, for hours with them about that show, how meaningful it is to us and how much there is to say in there. Um, Mob Psycho, as I mentioned in the previous question, amazing work, both in terms of its technical merits and its storytelling uh, and, and characters and their relationships. It's a work that I'm glad people have not forgotten as the years have gone on. I mean, of course the second season reminded us, but people still haven't forgotten that 2016 first run. And, you know, four years is a long time in this fandom, you know, two sets of fans have come, uh, and gone by then. And, you know, uh, and then that has endured, which I'm very happy about. And you can listen to me talk about that also with Anime is Lit and, and uh, Mark from the Oh No Anime podcast. It's in our SoundCloud uh, and our uh, Spotify and what have you. If you look back through, we released it in May of 2019. It's a two-parter. So look for that one as well to for me to expound on why I love those things. Okay, last but certainly not least, we have the all-time favorite anime that popped up over the decade, and I'm already almost running at an hour, and I am desperately not trying to make this editing job difficult for, for Doc and Shaden, so I'm going to try to keep this as quick as possible. I know every time I say that, I end up talking for another hour, but I swear I'm not going to do it this time. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you want to look at it, this decade produced a lot of all-time favorite anime for me. Some of the best anime I've ever seen came straight from the 2010s. So I organized these by order of release. I'm just going to say a little bit about each of them, um, kind of shotgun style, rapid fire. I'm sure I forgot some. I can guarantee you that the minute I finish recording this and send it off to the good folks at Wari Desho, I am going to realize that there are another 20 that I should have put on there that I didn't even remember. So, again, mea culpa for anyone that feels like I completely neglected one of the legitimately best shows to come out. Um, it means that I either just forgot to mention it, or more likely I haven't seen it. Uh, for instance, a Descending Stories show again Roku Rakugo Shinju is an anime that I am almost certain would be on my best of the decade list if I had been able to watch it. Um, I'll get around to it eventually. Um, but there are, again, there are going to be shows that I definitely did not get to, um, but as for what I have watched and what I was able to kind of pull together, um, an order of release from 2010 to 2019, um, my, some of my all-time favorite anime ever uh, that have come out of the decade include uh, Shiki from 2010. This is a vampire story, a horror anime that is actually legitimately scary, and I'm someone that often finds it very difficult to get engaged with horror anime because they just don't deliver the fear and the dread and the scares that good horror media should. I don't know if that's because there's just too much of an emotional distance between um, my life and a, a world of animation, or if it's just because the standards of horror and anime are just difficult to hit because of how much um, time and resources you need to do so. For whatever reason... 
99% of horror anime I find either entertaining but not scary or just plain not scary and not really worth the time. Shiki, however, is an exception to that rule. This show kicks an unholy amount of ass, a pun intended. It is basically what would happen if a classic Stephen King novel um, had a sexy anime baby and then that anime baby just had the weirdest, goofiest hairstyles, but it was still just as scary and unnerving and heartbreaking as any good Stephen King book would be. Um, I don't want to spoil anything about this this show, because the twists and the turns that it takes comprise some of the best moments of it. Um, it's about a town that starts to receive a trickle of vampires coming in, moving in, and then some more vampires, and then some more... And then where it goes from there is worth it. Let me just say that. It is worth it. And it does get truly scary. It gets truly unsettling. It has one of the most satisfying conclusions to an anime that I can remember seeing in a long time. And to this day, you know, I haven't watched it in its entirety probably in seven years. And there are still scenes and moments from that show that I think about on a regular basis because they were so impactful and so haunting. So Shiki. Uh, not for the faint of heart, but definitely for those who want to watch good, scary, bloody, um, spoopy animes. Also from 2010, um, I had to mention this one, uh, Madoka Magica, the classic Gen Urobuchi penned um, Shaft anime that changed the game in a lot of ways. I mean, again, I'm not trying to say that anything is ever going to be the new Evangelion, but Madoka Magica was probably as close to Evangelion as an, as an anime has gotten in the past 10 years or so. It definitely did the whole subversion of genre tropes in a way that not a lot of anime have done successfully in the past 10 years. And yeah, it's great. Um, I don't really know if I could spoil this one at this point. It's popular enough and old enough that I imagine that most people that would want to know what the story is about know. But just in case, I'm not going to spoil the story. Just know that it's beautiful. It's haunting. It's weird. It has this kind of dark fairy tale aesthetic that has only gotten better with time. And it will more likely than not end up one of your favorite anime too. It's, it's a classic. In 2011, we have Steins Gate which is an anime I've cooled on significantly over the years. Um, it used to be kind of one of my unquestionably favorite shows of all time. I adored it. Um, over the past nine years, I've come to recognize its flaws a lot more, and it's been a lot harder to just unquestionably stand this anime, to use the parlance of the young people these days. But I it, it was such an impactful show for me. It was kind of one of the first anime of my second wave of anime fandom, after I kind of fell off the bandwagon a little bit in uh, high school. And for all of its flaws, for all of its problematic portrayals of women and of queer people, and all of the things that kind of tend to come with a harem-style visual novel adaptation, it's one of the best time travel stories I have ever encountered. It is a fantastic science fiction parable in general. It's a great hangout sitcom at the same time. And it wraps up its story and concludes its emotional and plot threads uh, more neatly than many, many similar shows have been able to do. The 
prequel slash side story, Steins Gate Zero, is not very good. I would not recommend that one. Um, I had to review that one, and it did not live up to the original, I think, in any way. But the original Steins Gate, for all of its flaws, is still, I think, a very, very, very good show. Um, a standout of its genre and something that is worth watching, especially if you like shows that are both comedic and heartbreaking in equal measure. Uh, we're going to skip ahead to 2013 because I couldn't really find a whole bunch of shows from 2012 that immediately stood out to me as my all-time favorites. But Kill la Kill from Studio Trigger 2013, that is definitely an all-time favorite of mine. It is uh, body and it is lewd. And it is so over the top, as any Trigger show is going to be. But I think it shows a respect for its characters and for its audience. And I think especially now that we've seen more of the kind of art that Trigger wants to make and the kind of stories that Trigger wants to tell, I think it is even easier to take the show on good faith, um, especially when it comes to the fan service and when it comes to the way that um, its female characters are developed and, and interact with each other. I think back in 2013, it was really, really easy to look at some of the fan service and some of the characterization in the show and to understandably um, assume the worst of the creators and of the story. And I think in the years that have come and gone since Kill a Kill has come out, I think we have seen that the themes that it was trying to express, the kind of characterization it was trying to accomplish with um, the women and the men in its cast, I think are not only well-intentioned, but well-executed and well-done. And did I mention that it's an absolutely bug-nuts, bonkers show with some of the coolest and most entertaining action sequences you're going to see in an anime? Because it is. It absolutely is. And if you have not watched this um, Trigger classic, I'm not going to say that it's a, a wholehearted, universal recommendation, because there are plenty of people that are going to watch Kill la Kill and for very understandable reasons say, no, not for me. No, thank you. Uh, personally, for me, I love it. I adore it. And it is absolutely one of my all-time favorite anime. Um, and again, we couldn't talk 2013 without Attack on Titan. I mean, I, what is there to say? It's a Stone Cold classic. It is one of the best action slash uh, war anime to ever be produced. It has some of the best animation that you'll find in modern anime. I mean, Studio Wit pulls out all the stops for this show. And some of the action beats that you get throughout all three seasons of the show are just mind-boggling. There are definitely words to be said about its politics. Or I guess I should say where its politics might be going. I am firmly in the camp of people that read Attack on Titan in a way that is definitively anti-war, anti-propaganda, anti-bigotry. However, it does make choices, especially given the, the context of Japanese culture and Japan's relationship to war in general, that are questionable. And I do not blame people that maybe don't trust the show and don't trust the creator's ability to handle the subject matter that he's working with. That being said, I love this show. It has produced some of my favorite moments in action anime. I've loved writing about it. I just have so much to say every single time I see an episode. Attack on Titan is great. You should watch it if you like that kind of show. And yeah, I mean, again, it's one of the most popular anime ever. I'm not, 
I don't think I'm convincing anyone here that isn't already convinced, but still, there's that. Uh, 2014, I almost forgot to put this on my list, but I would never be forgiven either by myself or my wife because this is one of the shows that we share together and that we really, truly adore, and that is Noragami. Uh, Noragami is just so much fun. It is so sweet. It is so well-written. It is a perfect blend of kind of homespun, found family comedy drama and supernatural action-adventure. It delves into the mythology of Japan in a way that feels really satisfying and really engaging, even from an outside perspective. Um, the characters are lovable to the extreme. You just want all of them to be happy. It is, I don't even want to call it comfort food because that maybe implies that there's a lack of craft or a lack of creativity. It's like the platonic ideal of an adventure romance anime for me. It has all of the right ingredients and just the right balances. I could watch and rewatch the show on repeat forever, and I would probably never get bored. So if you have not watched Noragami or the second season of Noragami, that I will, I guess, caution ends on a cliffhanger, and there is no sign of a third season yet, so it's the kind of show where if you're going to get invested in it, you're probably going to want to dig into the manga so that you can continue the adventure. But still, Noragami is amazing, is wonderful. Watch it, love it, I treasure it, just like we have. It's great. And uh, the last show of 2014 I have, I promise, I'm, I'm almost done. <laughs> the, I, I guess I'm not, I'm actually only halfway through. But the last show of 2014 I have that has entered my pantheon of all-time favorites is Monthly Girls Ozaki-kun. Um, Doc and I have talked, and I know on the uh, WD podcast you guys have talked as well, about how anime comedy does not always translate in a way that works super well for Western audiences. The language barrier and the cultural barrier sometimes makes comedy difficult. Um, you can appreciate it even if you don't find it funny. Monthly Girls Ozaki-kun, though, is freaking hilarious. And every person that we've ever showed it to, even people that don't really like anime very much, also think that it's hilarious because it's just an objectively sweet, funny, charming, lovable romantic comedy. Uh, for those of you that don't know, it's about a high school girl who is hopelessly in love with the titular Nozaki-kun, who is a big, goofy oaf, who is super, super serious, and is pretty much obsessed with his one hobby-slash-career, which is uh, writing and drawing uh, shoujo manga, you know, rom romance manga for, for young women. And pretty much the whole show is just an ensemble comedy where this girl is trying to, you know, show that she loves this guy and, you know, be a part of his life, uh, whereas he is so oblivious and so unable to even just understand the basic connections being drawn there that um, shenanigans ensue. So, Monthly Girls is Akikun, hilarious. Well, watch it. I'm going to say that for all of these shows, but watch it. Uh, Yuri on Ice is our 2016 show. Um, that's such a smash hit, and it's been talked about on my podcast and on Warrior Death Show and on like every other anime podcast ever. So, um, Ice Skating Anime... Um, uh, queer romance, uh, gorgeous art, amazing uh, skate choreography, um, heart-melting, uh, joyful, uh, empowering, inclusive, beautiful. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Yuri on Ice is great. Please watch it. Please support it. Uh, we need more shows like this. We need more representation like this. Um, yes, it's good. It's all good. It's all very, very good. 
another 2016 show is Mob Psycho 100, and I'm going to go ahead and bundle Mob Psycho 102 from uh, last year onto this as well. It has some of the coolest, weirdest, most bizarre art you can imagine. Um, it's a, another adaptation of a property from One, um, the artist behind the uh, excellent One Punch Man. However, having seen Mob Psycho 100, I think it does everything that One Punch Man does, but better, uh, with a better story, better characters, more interesting world. And uh, Mob Psycho 102, in particular, features some of the most impressive animation, direction, choreography that you will ever see in any anime ever. I guarantee it. If that isn't enough to sell you, uh, Reagan is, is daddy. That is a meme that will make sense to a lot of people. And if it doesn't make sense to you, it will. The minute you watch Mob Psycho 100 and Mob Psycho 102, it's great. It'll break your heart, but in a good way, it'll make you laugh. It'll make you, uh, scream with delight. And it'll also make your eyes go on fire with its beautiful, gorgeous animation. So check that out. And then 2017 is, uh, there's only one show from 2017 that I wanted to highlight because, uh, this is already getting long and my list is, um, endless, but I, I could not do this podcast. I could not record this, uh, contribution without mentioning made in abyss. It is far and away, not only one of my favorite anime ever, it is one of my favorite things ever. One of my favorite works of art in any medium from any time period at all, period. It is not without its problems, like I alluded to before. The author, um, Akihito Tsukushi, he has some, uh, I guess you could call them, sexual kinks that err towards the kind of weird and off-putting side. And there's no real way to avoid that in the manga. The anime tones it down as much as it possibly can. But I guess my one content warning would be that this is a show that not only gets a little skeevy, it gets very, very violent. It is incredibly dark. It is, uh, it is brutal in places uh, to the point where it can be hard to watch. And so it is another show that I would not show to my grandmother or my mother or even most of my uh, friends and coworkers because it is... It's, it's a grueling experience in a lot of ways. That being said, it contains some of the most beautiful, expressive, lush artwork and animation that I've seen. The main characters, Rico and Reg, are, are two kids that are descending into this literal abyss at the center of their world. And they're discovering the secrets and the kind of personal growth that dwells within it is um, a, a nearly perfectly executed adventure story. It hits on pretty much every emotional beat and hallmark that you would want a show like this to hit. A Kevin Pinkin's soundtrack is probably my favorite anime soundtrack of all time. And again, it's in my top 10, top 5 soundtracks of all time. Uh, the music in the show will live in your heart forever and it'll never leave. I, I can't recommend this enough. I really, really can't. Um, if you feel like you have the stomach for the, the content and that you can maybe not overlook, but if you can work with some of the more questionable elements that unfortunately get tossed in there from time to time, um, I can guarantee you that Made in Abyss is, is an experience that you will not forget and it will, um, it will stick with you for a very long time. 
And then I have some other shows on this list, but in the interest of time and in the interest of making sure that I really am putting my all-time favorites on there, um, I'm actually going to make mention of just one more, and that is going to be uh, Devilman Crybaby, Masaki Yuasa's mind-blowing masterpiece from 2018. Uh, This show is perfect. There's really no other way to say that. It is another show that is bloody and... It will challenge you in ways that you maybe did not want to be challenged in regards to how much suffering and angst and uh, pain can be put on screen. And with Masaki Yuasa's very distinctive visual style, a lot of that dark and uh, antagonistic material can be even maybe harder to process because it's so visceral and so in your face. But what he does in taking this, you know, this classic property of Devil Man and taking this classic story of a man that must turn into a monster to fight monsters and imbuing it with with so much emotional resonance that the show threatens to burst at the seams pretty much every single frame because it is doing so much so fast and it's pulling it all off somehow. It's the kind of stunt that you rarely see in any medium, uh, much less anime, and to see it done really without missing a single beat, it, it's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I mean, Masaki Yuasa has made masterpieces already. And again, I do believe that Keep Your Hands Off Azoken is going to be, if not a full-blown masterpiece, easily one of the best shows of the year. But Devilman Crybaby is one of the best anime ever made, period. Not even just this decade, but ever. And so... um you definitely owe it to yourself to check that out if you haven't. It is something that will stick with you probably uh, for the rest of your life if it resonates with you in the same way that it did with so many people. So that is it for my contributions. Um, I went a little long, but I, I have so much to say and so much to share. This decade has been a very eventful one. It's probably been the most important decade in my life when it comes to being an anime fan. Um, it is the decade I became a writer and a critic of anime, and it is the decade that I really started to engage with so many like-minded people about the subject matter. Um, I've made some incredible new lifelong friends because of my experiences with the medium, with podcasting about anime, with um, just getting to share these experiences with so many people. And for all of the uh, low points and for all of the unfortunate trends and Uh, Other things that have popped up in the past 10 years, I would not trade this decade in anime for the world. I think it has given so much uh, good to the people that love this medium and love this art and love the culture of Japan and love the culture of the anime fandom. And I'm just uh, so privileged to have been uh, a part of it, to have been able to witness it firsthand. You know, it is something I am grateful for. So thank you all so much for taking the time to listen to my thoughts. Uh, Thank you, uh, Waru Desho, for allowing me to contribute to your celebration of the decade. It has been an honor and a privilege. And I hope every single one of you has uh, an incredible start to this new decade. And I cannot wait to see what kind of new, fresh, weird, and wild experiences we're going to have in the next 10 years. Did this decade produce any of your all-time favorite anime, which and why do you love it? 
I'm not over Devil Man Crybaby yet. Oh, man. Not even a little bit. <laughs> Me neither. Dang, I didn't put that on my list, but I think, <laughs> ugh. That's probably on my list, but, um. Yeah, and Yuas is probably on my list of, uh. You're right, yeah. Uh, creators for this decade. Yeah. Um, I have to say Rakugo. Yeah. That's, that's like, if I have to pick one all-time favorite anime, I usually go with that one. I mean, it's really hard to, <laughs> it's really hard to pick a favorite out of everything, mm-hmm. but that's kind of the easy answer for me. We good? Yeah, I think so. Megalobox was good too. Dang, yeah. Damn. <laughs> Apparently I can only think like two years in the past. Yeah. Oh, free. Free. I was I, <laughs> sorry. I had this exactly the same time as you. <laughs> uh, the swimming anime got us into watching stuff seasonally. So. Yeah. It's also just like, I will forever love that show yeah. just for the like wholesome good times it brought me. Mm-hmm. That was one of those fandoms that we were in for just years and years and years, I think. Yeah. I think free got me back into anime fandom the way I would have done it in high school, mm. the way I did fandom for other stuff where I like got in like started reading writing fanfic and consuming producing art and like, yeah. starting blogs about it and that kind of thing <laughs> mm-hmm. here's to another 10 years yeah all right i looked up my 25 uh anime my top 25 and uh 14 out of those came out in the last two, 10 years uh this has been the only full decade i've been watching anime after it comes out so even with me going back to pick and choose gems of previous era, I'm pretty biased. But you know what? Who cares as long as the anime is good? Um, I have already monstrously abused the time given to me, so I'm just going to limit myself to the ones in my top ten, uh, except for Mob Psycho. Uh, I forgot that Mob Psycho 2 came out until just now. Shit. Whatever. Um, Mob Psycho, not in my top ten. You still have to watch it. Uh, the first season has one of my favorite episodes of anime ever. Uh, the second season starts with that level of quality and only gets better. Uh, it's all of one's Inui and deadpan humor from One Punch Man, uh, except it's been power-leveled to become scaffolding for an affecting and nuanced story about empathy and what we value in personal growth. Uh, there are episodes of this show so good to look at that you will invent gods to thank them for giving you eyes, Mm, okay, fuck it. I'm going to put Mob Psycho in my top 10. Okay. Um, no longer in my top 10. Still incredible. Uh, seminal. Every other fancy word you want to throw at it. Uh, Urobuchi Gen's Madoka Magica. Uh, I actually like Urobuchi's writing more in Thunderbolt Fantasy. You know, the puppet mo- murder show. The one with the Hiroyuki soundtrack. Remember him? Um, but that's mostly because I already have Madoka. Uh, Urobuchi has this reputation for brutality, and at his worst, that tendency becomes excess. But you know what? Really, his bleakness is always more of a setting for some really positive messages about getting through the goddamn day as a good person. And uh, Madoka's the tightest, brightest work in that regard. Uh, this show's soundtrack slaps. The character designs by Aokiyume are all-timers. Uh, Kyubei is a top-tier bastard mascot. And those Soviet-inspired witch worlds by uh, Gekidan Inukuri fucking own. Uh, it's one of those anime that's pretty much perfect. 
Uh, speaking of, um, Kyo Annie's Sound Euphonium a series so good, I wrote four of my best essays on it. Uh, it's a show about making art that proves its point by being really fucking good art. Uh, everything I was praising Yamada for um, a minute ago applies here. She does direct it, after all. Um, oh My Kumiko is my eternal shitbag daughter and one of the best characters in the medium. Still by Kyo Annie is Nichijo, the greatest comedy ever put to film, and also by Kyo Annie. I said that already. I'm going to say it twice. It's by Kyo Annie. <laughs> Three times. They deserve it. Uh, no group of people has ever put so much craft into making a joke, and then there's these 25 episodes of it. Um, everything mundane is outrageous. Everything outrageous is mundane. In between, you are going to cry big blubbery ghibli tears about a robot girl. Uh, go watch it. It's great. <laughs> At the very least, watch the um, argument from like episode 14 or 15. Come back to me. It's great. Okay, uh, um, second to last praise goes to Yuasa's Tatami Galaxy. Uh, I binged this anime on a couch at the very end of a uranium-dense and deeply fulfilling semester abroad, um, so the eternal recurrence of doubt that that uh, main character goes through always felt more like a hard-won pen on my back for getting things together um, in college than it felt like a way forward. Um, but, you know, and that makes sense. Uh, it was written by an adult looking back at college, Um but anyway, that's not the only reason I look at I look at this anime with love. Uh, I love the anime because, good or bad, it is on its bullshit. I love shit that goes in. I know, like, I I like shit that knows what it's about and just does that as best it can. And when you bring together that parsec per minute, like dense um, dialogue of uh, Marumi uh, ta uh, Tokihiko, uh, whose uh, book this is based off. Uh, we have a director um, like Yuasa who uses that as a dynamo for striking image after striking image. Um, yeah, no, that's that's what I'm here for. Um, it's one of the most satisfying things around. So that being said, it may not surprise people to know that um, the anime of my decade... Uh, <laughs> that's right, it's mine, I'm sorry, uh, is Monogatari. Um both the direction that uh, Oishi Tatsuya took it in those spectacular Kizumono films and the direction that Itsumura and Tomoyuki did for the rest of the series. Um, just endless parades of visual ideas, just sometimes for the sake of them, but so often to compliment the writer, uh, Nisio Isin's just utterly self-indulgent prose. Uh, and that sounds like a, that doesn't sound like a compliment, but what I mean to say is Shaft shows always have these endless visual ideas where they heighten the tone of a moment so hard and so and um, in such fragments that you're uh, constantly bought in. Uh, and I think Monogatari is the best version of that. I think um, Frigatsu, um, uh, sorry, March Comes In Like a Lion, um, is another really great example of that. Um, March Comes In Like a Lion is very good. You should watch it. Okay, sorry. Anyway, um, it does my favorite thing. 
uh, Monogatari does of making all the subtext text. And then once it does that, just keep digging and digging and digging for layers until each character has this haunted house of mirrors worth of baggage and depth to them. Uh, it's so preoccupied with being interesting, and yet it generally never uses <laughs> loses its own human heart. Uh, I'm such a mark for this fucking series. I own all the books. Uh, I wrote two essays. Um, they're good. You should read those. Um, I own an Oshino Ogi figure. It is watching me record this right now. Um, uh, Hanamonogatari is a particularly good as a novel, um, and Hitaki End is an all-time great story arc. Just in anything and yet and yet uh it's almost impossible to recommend this series in good faith without a legal department writing up a list of disclaimers uh because it so often indulges in the very tropes it uses as jumping off points for great character work and because of how tight that balance is between enjoying itself and performing a mm, public masturbation uh i bounced off this franchise actually uh the first time i went through it uh, back in 2015 uh, but I had something to say about it, so, you know, I went back through, uh, and then rewatching it, I it just took a hold of me. It became a brain parasite. It It is a, probably a percentage of my brain matter at this point. Um, I mean, I've come to find that I really enjoy flawed things that I have to work to meet in my own middle, at least as enthusiastically as the things I find impeccable. Like, it lays bare um, those kinds of works. Uh, they lay bare the sort of collage that you have to make in your head um, of you and the work. Um, and that's where all the most vital criticism lies. Um, and if that sounds like something you're interested in, uh, you should definitely start the series. And if that also sounds like something you're interested in, you should really get into Gundam. Start with the original, the one from the 70s. Final note. Kimi no Shiranai Monogatari is the greatest ending song of an anime ever. It's technically before this decade. It's still for the series. Counting it. If you're not counting it, fine. I'm going to give the award to Wareta Ringo, the um, Shinsekai Yori uh, ending. Also a good, great series from this decade. Okay, that's uh, Alexander signing off. See ya. Did this decade produce any of my all-time favorite anime? It did. Um, it definitely did, actually. Uh, Mowaru Penguin Drum, I'm sure that anyone who, who knows who I am from an anime blogging standpoint will know that this show means an awful lot to me, personally. It is one of my all-time favorite shows. I've never done, like, an all-time favorites list because it it's always really difficult for me. Even just narrowing down, like, this past decade was really difficult for me. Um, but I know that Mowari Penguin Drum would definitely be on it. I know that um, a few other shows that came out this decade, including From the New World... Um, and, and Ping Pong, the animation w would likely be on it as well. Um, and then I would have to revisit a ton of other shows. Um, because obviously when you get into a, a favorites list, you then contend with vast amount of nostalgia. So 
Sailor Stars would end up there for me, despite the fact that it's a mess, like, absolute mess, and has so many issues. It would still end up there for me because it means so much to me personally, but, um, you know, I think if, it were, if we're looking at stuff from this past decade, from the New World and, and Mawar, Penguin Drum would definitely end up on a favorites list, so this decade did produce, at the very least, two, possibly more shows that would end up on um, a best of list. And I love these because, like I said, when you're... So for me, whenever you're doing a best of, it's never me coming from an authoritative standpoint and being like, these are objectively the best anime of all time. It's me being like, this resounded with me personally because... um, Mawaru Penguin Drum was my life when I blogged it. Uh, it and the the ensuing kind of act of blogging it and the research I did for it um, and stuff like that. It retaught me, I guess, the way I could interact with anime. I could interact with it in a in a different, almost uh, more academic way than I could interact with than I had interacted with anime in the past, which is which is a lot through. Not just blogging, but also writing fan fiction, also doing some fan art, um, which I still do. Like, I still draw, I still write fan fiction when I have the time. I have a lot less time in my life right now. Um, but I think, above all else, Mawaru Penguin Drum taught me that I could come at anime from a more analytical or academic perspective, which is how I, by default, approach anything. For example, when I was getting into esports, I started off with League of Legends, and the way I found that I really wanted to interact with it was definitely through statistics and following this thing called jungle pathing. And I mean, if you if you don't know anything about League of Legends, you're going to be like, what the heck are you talking about? But uh, the the main point is that when I like to interact with things, I like to do it from an analytical perspective, for better or for worse, because I am just very detail-oriented and very analytically minded. And Moara Penguin Drum taught me that I could approach something from not only like an emotional narrative standpoint, because anything that I'm interacting with on that kind of level, I'm also deeply attached to it from an emotional perspective. Um, I'm, I'm very emotionally invested. I'm, I was very emotionally invested in, in the outcome of Penguin Drum and the characters. I was very emotionally invested in From the New World. Um, and I think that that combined with the fact that I could attack them analytically was something that is is a major reason why I love them. And they came from this decade, so thank you. Thank you, 2010s, for supplying me with some of my favorite anime. In terms of this decade producing an all-time favorite anime, that's really difficult to say, especially compared, comparing how the beginning of the decade was for me, comparing how the end. I spent a lot of time this decade revisiting things from before or, or seeing things that I'd never seen that back in the day, just because access has changed so much. Um, but certainly, uh, I don't know if I would call it an all time favorite, but it is, uh, 
is certainly one that I really, really enjoyed. And I still find myself thinking about to this day. And that would definitely be uh devil man cry baby that was on Netflix a couple years ago. Um, really, uh, a really interesting work that again, doesn't necessarily a fit. Like, I, I don't know if I would call it a favorite and in the way that I'm going to vouch for all of its qualities necessarily. Uh, cause there are some, it's, you know, nothing's perfect, but it had, I, I felt like it was engaging visually and thematically. And I found myself thinking about it after I'd watched it. And every now and then, even still a couple years later, I'll still reflect on elements of it or, or think about it, try to think about it in different ways. So it definitely is one that stuck with me more than others. See, now let me make it clear that I'm not as much of an old guy as I appear to be because the 2010s absolutely gave me some anime that I absolutely put on my all-time favorite list and hold in the highest regard, starting with Inuyashiki from 2017. That show was fantastic. Uh, It subverted the idea of what a protagonist can be and look like. Uh, The animation was very, very cool. Uh, The antagonist was an absolute evil sociopath until he had his moment of clarity. And Inuyashiki, watch it, watch it, watch it. Just please watch that. For me, for David, watch Inuyashiki. Uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Thunderbolt, uh, beautiful OVA. Uh, animation was fantastic. The soundtrack was terrific. Uh, I will never get tired of quality Gundam OVAs. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to 2020 for that reason, too. And of course, uh, I mentioned cop shows. I mentioned that I love sci-fi. I cannot go without mentioning Psycho Pass. Psycho Pass was an absolute game changer. Forget your feelings about season two because season three was pretty good. Psycho Pass changed the game. I, I, I really loved season one. I think a lot of people did. So yes, Psycho Pass as well. And like I said, a big, big, big shout out to Netflix. Uh, Netflix had quite a few anime that really hit me in the right spot. Uh, Be the Beginning, uh, maybe not the most popular show, and the aforementioned Hero Mask. Uh, two shows that I personally loved, despite them not being the most popular shows to talk about in the anime spaces. Uh, if, if you like your cop shows, if you like Psycho Pass, Be the Beginning and Hero Mask, they're both on Netflix. Check them out. And that's it. I uh, hope you've enjoyed this look back at the 2010s in anime. It's a little bit different from just like a top 10 list or something like that. We wanted to take like a broader perspective and again, bring in a lot of different points of view to talk about uh, how this decade in anime has gone. And it's been quite an eventful 10 years. And here's to another 10 more. I want to thank all of our, our guests that contributed to this. You are all fantastic friends of the pod and welcome anytime on this not so fine show. Um, and thank all of our listeners, particularly our lovely patrons. Um, I appreciate each one of you. And as we say, 
uh, when signing off on this show. Embrace each other, everyone, to the ends of the universe. (laughs) 